Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your host, B Magic. To the left of me, I got my brother, Noise. And this week, our guest is Humble the Poet, rapper, spoken word artist, author, former teacher, music video director. This guy's got his hands in a lot of different pots right now. Yeah, man, we talk about the first time I ever met him at El Macombo and how I met Noise for the very first time. That was a legendary night, man. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we also talk about making that leap from the security of having a full-time job as a teacher to leaving that all behind to jump into the world of being a rapper and being a creative. Yeah, man, it gets crazy. It gets serious. It gets funny. It gets, it's all of that. He talks about learning how to make money as a creative, but he also, before he got to that point, he had to deal with a lot of financial insecurity. So we go into his, his struggles trying to find his way and trying to find his path as an artist. I think that will be eye-opening to a lot of creatives because it's yeah. a struggle that we do not talk about a lot, but it, it, it's great to see it in a person that, who is as established as Humble the Poet is. Yeah. And a little bit of disclaimer here. So this was actually the first episode we recorded for the podcast. Humble was nice enough to be the first person to come through, didn't yeah. ask any questions. We were still trying to figure out how the fuck to do this podcasting stuff. Yeah. So the audio quality on this episode is not the greatest. We did kind of... We were still, we didn't know what the hell we were doing when we, were, yeah. when we started this episode. This so. is a DIY podcast where we had no idea what we were doing. We figured it out episode by episode. So this was supposed to be episode one. Instead, it, it, it ends up being episode nine, not because of the topics at hand, but just because our shit wasn't polished at that point. So <laughs> we wanted to, yeah, we wanted to give you the best first experience and sound quality wise, this wasn't our best episode, but yeah. the content on here is so important. Yeah, it's dope. We definitely didn't want to redo it. We could have easily gotten Humble to come back and do it because he is a really nice guy. But I feel like it wouldn't have been the same conversation that we had, and it was very dope. And not there was a lot of things that I didn't even know about how Humble felt while he was going through it. So it's very important to us to release this episode, but Please understand that we are not amazing at what we do yet. We are trying to get to it. And please forgive us for, for any audio Nazis out there that are listening. <laughs> uh, with that being said, you can follow him on all social media platforms at Humble the Poet. This is Immigrant Hustle Season 1, Episode 9. Let's go. To the immigrant struggle, our hustle is fucked. <laughs> Cancel the show, man. Cancel the show. It's over. The immigrant struggles to say hustle. Yeah, that's pretty hard. Yo, should we rebrand? We're struggling now. All right, let's redo that. Okay, welcome to the immigrant hustle podcast. I, it is your host, B Magic here. I am joined by none other than my boy, Dusty Loops. My other boy, Noise. And we got a special guest in the building, the one and only... Humble the Poet. Okay, yes, yes, the one and only. Um, he is a longtime friend of everybody sitting here, uh, so it was only right that you're our first special guest. And uh, we didn't have to pay you to do this. So Yo, like, I'm uh, still honored, man. I'm honored to be know, on so a non-whack podcast with smart-ass people. You're here by Let's default, so nice. don't feel too special. All right. Yeah, it's like when you got to go to that family wedding because it's like 
family relative you have to go to you don't, <laughs> even, you don't even like him but you gotta go my my, my two favorite words yeah default, default. <laughs> you get the reference yeah these two um, these guys these, <laughs> un- yeah, these uncultured swine don't get it yeah Simpsons reference real quick all right so we want to definitely get into the story of the man humble the poet um let's just go into your family first because this is the immigrant hustle so what yeah. is, what let's like what how did your father and mother come to canada let's let's start from there first so parents came in the early 70s and my mother came here um being sponsored by my mama so my, the oldest son in on my mom's side okay. uh, i think through academics he got into england and then from england he moved to canada and then he sponsored my mom sponsored the rest of his siblings and then he didn't like canada and he moved to london and then uh, <laughs> he's actually the only white collar member of our family and he's such a pretentious uh hilarious guy it's because he doesn't connect with the rest of the family because they're all blue color now he's traveling around he's just he's just he's like 70 plus uk and vancouver he's got two houses huh uh toronto yeah and then he sounded like it no by himself so he was the first dude he was the first guy in the family to like get out oh no it was uh like most of our parents it was their parents that just said do it yeah. yeah, it's so funny to think about now because it's like if we like if I thought about it, I'm like, yo, when my dad made it to to Europe, I'm like, yo, that's sick. If I made it to Europe, I'd have been like, blessed. This is nice. Yeah. But their whole thing, they were still like sold on this American dream, you know. So everybody wanted to get closer to America. The more west you got, the better off your life was gonna be. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of the thing back then. Yeah, and and as well as their they them having that, that's about what their parents were telling them to do. You know, that was their doctor, lawyer, engineer. Like, yeah. get into Canada and set something up. Um, so once my uncle got everybody here, then he moved to England because he preferred England. But uh, my mom stayed here, and then they arranged her marriage to my pops, which was also his way of getting into the country and, and that whole extended side of the family. Yeah. And they married in 1974. So I think my mom came here in 72, got married. My mom came here in 1972 in three weeks after coming to Canada while driving in the passenger seat of a car, the steering wheel stopped working on the wow. 401 and they drove, they got a head-on collision on the 401 and the other party died. And my mom busted up her knee. Three wow. weeks into cam- coming to Canada, she, she messed up her knee. And uh, my uncle was driving, I think he was okay. And then like, it turned out to be like a car, something happened to the car, the steering stopped working. Yeah, um, yeah so she'd spend like a couple of months in the hospital from that right away right away so maybe i don't know that delayed their marriage but my parents got married in 74 and then they had us um they had my sister my sister like 76 and then they had my other sister 80 i'm 81 baby okay Um, so uh, (coughs) do they get settled in rexdale right away uh they stayed in etobicoke the whole time uh so they started in in south etobicoke on lakeshore i think they rented an apartment that was one of the first like I think when it was just them before we start bringing in more of my uh, my puas and my chachas. Yeah. Um, so they had an apartment on Lakeshore, and then they moved up to the house where I was born in middle of Tobacco by Centennial Park, and we lived there for a long time. And then when I was about five, we moved to Rexdale. Rexdale, just being the north part of Etobicoke. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, I live by Humber College. Uh, from, uh, yeah, you're from John Garland. John Garland's the John Garland is the line. <laughs> when people, oh, is there gonna be some Rexdale? No, <laughs> I'm not even talking about beef. I'm talking about like in general. When you talk about like walking around Rexdale at night, I thought the shooters were about the, to come. The out. shooters, <laughs> no, but that, well, that's my point. The shooters are on one side of John Garland <laughs> okay. versus the other side, and it's a it's an interesting divide because growing up, all the schools were on the other side of John Garland. Now they're not. Now in my neighborhood, I wouldn't have gone to like the West Humbers, to like to like Albion Heights, to like Elmbank. Those are all the schools in that area, but. Now those I wouldn't go to those schools now. Now we have closer schools, yeah. so I think that mix is what made the whole Rexel experience amazing. What are your first memories of your childhood in Rexel? Um, just going to school, being a kid, just yeah. doing stuff like that. I think, uh, you know, being a very stubborn kid. I remember that being very stubborn. Uh, being annoyed if people tried to predict what I was going to do, even if, if it was predictable. Like, oh, he's going to grab the blue bicycle. And I'd yeah. be like, no, I won't. And then grabbing the yellow one, <laughs> even though my heart was set on the blue and we had a relationship. Yeah. So I've, I've been very cognizant. I realized a lot of times that happened. I remember in grade one, I didn't pick my, like, I got to pick my best, pick anybody who I wanted to be my buddy for a trip. And then everyone predicted I picked my best friend. Why wouldn't I? And just to spite them, I didn't. And ruined, the <laughs> <laughs> ruined the whole trip. That's some evil shit. Yeah, it just I sp- and I had to like hang out with somebody I didn't even know for like that entire trip. And I'm like, why did I do that? Just to prove to people that, that they couldn't predict me. And I see how that has continually bit me in the ass as I grew up. <laughs> That's some Rexdale shit. <laughs> that is some Rexdale shit. Rexdale shit. <laughs> yeah. Gr- growing up in Rexdale, what was the? If you're talking about demographics, what was it like back <clears throat> then, like when you were younger? Um, back when I was growing up, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of West Indians. Just across the board, folks from Jamaica, Trinidad, Guyana, um, and then you know a lot of people from South Asia. So we have Punjabi people, a lot of Gujarati people, Pakistani people. Um, you know, every class had a hijabi. You know, uh, every well now probably every class has a hijabi much more. But I think, yeah, growing up, I think it was me and maybe three, four other kids per grade that had their hair. Mm-hmm. But that really didn't seem too much of an issue within Rexdale. I felt it a lot more when I left mm-hmm. that area, you know, going 30 minutes to like Barry. Yeah. Then you feel it. <laughs> yeah. You don't no, feel it as That's an well. interesting you conversation. You feel comfortable in this bubble, but you yeah. leave the GTA and you fucking feel it yeah. instantly. Now that's the conversation I've had like with my brother-in-law, with my in-laws where they're like, oh, something will happen. Like, oh, I can't believe this happened in Canada. They're like, no, you go 20 minutes outside the GTA, you'll realize that this is not like the rest of Canada. Yeah, completely. But I think it's also the fact that like, <clears throat> you know, being a kid, you just feel uncomfortable getting stared at. Yeah. Just yeah. the amount of attention. And then I just, the ultimate irony was my safe space was around people that look like me. But then focusing on and becoming a public figure, there's more stares amongst my people now because of that. So it's like being in places like Los Angeles where nobody knows who you are, it's a lot less stares and a lot less discomfort for it. So it's just like mm-hmm. a, another grand irony of trying to do all these things. That's crazy. Actually, this is kind of, I know we want to go like in a timeline fashion, but this is kind of, you brought up the point, so I just kind of want to touch on that. Like, for example, I was at a concert last night. I was at uh, Janelle Monet. And that was dope. It was super dope. But like, she's come out and she's been very open about her sexual orientation. And so just be, looking at the crowd, there was a lot of uh, same-sex couples, like pride flags everywhere. So it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, so she's kind of taken on that role as being, you know, representing that community and being a positive representation of that community. 
Um, do you ever run into situations where, you know, because you do look a certain way, uh, people expect you to behave a certain way, and then when you kind of don't match their ideals, you know, you've let down, you've let them down, even though you didn't know you were trying to please them in the first like, place. Like so, people within the community, yeah, a thousand percent, because yeah. they, they come with their biases. You yeah. know, white dude sees you just like cool beard, and you might have a little bit of background as yeah. to what a Punjabi or a Sikh is, but then you have people within the community who are like, well. This is how I was raised to define someone like that or define a Gianni, define whatever. Yeah. And you'll constantly disappoint them on a, you know, micro to macro level. Mm -hmm. So some people are pissed off because you're swearing. Some people <laughs> yeah. are pissed off because you, you know, have girls in your videos. Like they're, they're, they're pissed off at you for different reasons. My mom reads me the criticisms of me in the Punjabi newspapers. <laughs> She'll like call me and be like, this is what they said about you. This is what they said about your friend, Fatih, and whatever. <laughs> and it's just like it's hilarious because just yeah. like didn't even realize these publications were paying attention mm -hmm. but now they are so um yeah that, that comes with it but at the same time as a person and everybody in this room you know your your purpose is bring those ideas to life and as an artist it's always going to be new ideas your number one uh level of resistance on a superficial level is going to be people who find comfort in the past mm -hmm. so like this is how i understand things to be and you're introducing a new idea, and that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, they're, they're fundamentalists, but that fundamentalism isn't just like a cultural or religious thing. You have, you, ha you experience that in sports. Yeah. You know, people are complaining about instant replay at the World Cup. It's not supposed yeah. to be like that. They want things to stay, they don't want new ideas introduced to something that they're familiar with. So I understand why people are un uncomfortable seeing me do stuff that they're not used to. I mm -hmm. get it. It's the same way they're uncomfortable watching women breastfeed. Watching two men kiss is mm. new to them. I get the discomfort, but I'm not validating it. It's like that's I don't devote a lot of energy towards those before me anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all we, about those are after. Are we gonna stand there with a motherfucking checklist <clears throat> and judge everybody? Like, is that what we're gonna become as a society, or like, which goes against everything that we are about as a, in our culture, at least, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And but really, no, it's what our culture stands for, but what our culture is is exactly it, no, that. No, it, it is, it's the opposite. Those, those the are the weapons that. of our culture, right? Guilt and shame. No, and, and I'm not going to shy away from it. I yeah. see it in my own family, too, right? Everybody sees it in their own family. It's just the way, it's just the mentality. Yeah, know, and, and the, same way, the same way a lot of, you know, people who have been co convicted of pedo you know, pedophilia were once victims themselves is mm. you know perpetuating a cycle you know that happens in so many other instances and if we're bombarded with guilt and fear and judgment all the time then we're going to maintain that cycle right and then artists pop up and we're like yo let's introduce a new idea what if you spend more time understanding somebody than judging them and the people are like this guy's a fucking heretic <laughs> this guy's a fucking i think i just noticed it right now i love your thoughts on it like i have subconsciously avoided um, watching the problem with Apu. Yeah. Because there's a comfort level there. Yeah. And I'm like, I know what this guy is going to say. It's going to make sense. But Apu's my dude. Yeah. And that show, you know what I mean? And it's going to make, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rattle something that I hold precious and dear. Yeah. So I understand why other people are going to feel the same way. Well, it goes back to that trick traditionalist think, thinking, yeah, right? It's comfort, like, yo, you're man. You're so used to yeah. Apu being <laughs> the way he is and you didn't even think about it this way but now yeah. the, the argument is brought up and you can understand it yeah. but it's like 
you're so torn. Yeah, you it's still like, love and you don't want to be torn. Yeah. You don't want yeah. familiarity means more. Is more to people. Super early on so yeah. when we got programmed about that, we just never questioned it. Mm. And as we kind of continued to grow, we started questioning everything in society, not realizing that that's an issue very close to a lot of the issues that we're tackling out there. But because it's an adorable cartoon character, you don't yeah. want to go after it. You don't want to think about Apu within the, the historical context of like minstrelsy. And because that's uncomfortable to think about. Right. You yeah. don't want to it's, you know, it's messing like, with some of this familiar. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. I love this character. And I don't want to think about him as yeah. actually same being with kind of Einstein and them journals. Same yeah. with you know some of our heroes getting me too. It's just it's, it's discomfort that people will naturally gravitate the other way. We always have this conversation about vis- visual representation in media when we were growing up, right? And we had connection to somebody like Apu because it was finally there's somebody in it. Even if we didn't get that some of the stuff is really stereotypical. Right, like now that you look back at it and you analyze it in that sense, yeah, you can think of it, but you didn't think about that when you grew up. We all got memories of of somebody dropping that accent on us in a derogatory fashion, used against us in a racist way. We still fucking loved Apu. It didn't. We didn't take it out (laughs) on him because somebody called like called us Apu. You know, were you like as a teenager? Were you looking for somebody that that looked like you, or was it just yo? I'm gonna just look for the dopest person in their field, or like, or was was it just music for you or was there was there other passions in your teenage years that may not have followed you into your adulthood? Um, no, I think I'm not going to lie. I don't think it was. I think for a lot of teenagers right now, it's not conscious until you get it. So I think what I realized is like I'm just listening to music. I'm just doing, you know, listening to whatever mainstream pop, whatever happened there. And then all of a sudden, Andre 3000 shows up in a music video wearing a turban, you yeah, know, Go into your deep dive. Then all yeah. of a sudden, you're just like, "Who is this? What is that? Yeah. What is he?" Ta-? You know. And then you just like, you know, uh, um, I came into this world high as a bird from secondhand cocaine powder. I know it sounds absurd, oh. you know. And you're just like, that's the the first thing I heard because I was intrigued with the word Babylon when 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 I put the CD in it and I I jumped there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're like, "Yo, I didn't even realize I needed this until I got it." Mm. You know, and there's a lot of things that we, you know, we, because I made peace with the fact that I was different. I wasn't normal and it was going to be very inconvenient in so many ways, shapes or forms. Like guys like me, were, I was, you know, it's always going to be, you know, that, that white kid from home improvement, the middle kid. Like that was, yeah. that was always what it was going to be. You know what, what's another thing is like hip hop lyrics are so much about self-confidence that I feel like I feel like that's why a lot of kids are drawn to to it. That if you recite those lyrics, it's almost like you're becoming this macho character, whether you're a little kid who's insecure or not, right? I feel like that's what, as a kid, you're like, holy, a rapper is this specimen of, some, you know, this <laughs> yeah. crazy holy being who can yeah. put these words together and has everybody watching them. Yeah. And there's, as a kid, you look at it that way, but then you realize, yo, there, there's so much responsibility that comes with everything you say and this and that and the 10,000 hours you got to put into it to actually become good at it. Yeah, and that's the thing, especially with, when you're younger, though, because you're putting in that 10,000 hours without realizing you're putting in 10,000 hours you're not looking for a yeah. reward. You're not thinking about how it's going to turn out. Your your reward is the process of just creating. And I mean, like that's the trickiest thing to kind of tap back into as an adult. It's just be like, yo, I spent 
you know, I spent three weeks, like three hours a day making that lyrics video to like voice for the voiceless. And now it's like I can't put that level of intensity into anything. And back then there was no money to be made. There was no views. There was nothing. The only thing that the only thing that kept me excited was when this is done, I get to like see it, you know, and it's, yeah. and it's really interesting as how, how that changes. But the enthusiasm is real when you're young, you know, the enthusiasm is real in, in those teenage years. And that's when people can kind of really figure out their natural inklings and, you know, which way they can pursue their enthusiasms. And I think for me, it's, yeah, it's hearing Andre 3000, and, you know, just thinking he was cool. I literally just like this guy's wearing a turban around a bunch of other really cool looking dudes. Everyone's super cool. And he fits in like he's not an odd man standing out. Yeah. And, you know, maybe feeling like that myself at the time. And then being like, okay, and then that kind of, as Kanye said, soundtrack to your self-esteem. Like that added, you know, a little stick into my spine, got me up a little bit more, and hip-hop continued to do that until it helped help me find, you know, my natural enthusiasms and what I was willing to spend hours on without reward. So when did you first, you talk about discovering Andre and Outkast, so when did you first take that as far as discovery and actually put that into writing your own music or writing your own lyrics. Well, I think before, I think so. I think now what I've realized, and, and, and it's like spoiler alert, if we're talking from the beginning, is for me it's about the written word. Mm-hmm. It ain't even about hip hop and music. So that started in like the, the third grade. I was, I wrote a book. And again, I love talk, telling these stories that you know if they happened today, there would be controversy. So like yeah. seeing Andre in the turban would get people crying about cultural appropriation you know like they do nick cannon right now you know i wrote a i wrote a book in the third grade called revenge of the teacher and all it was was my a story about my third grade teacher getting frustrated with everyone in the class and killing off each student one by one (laughs) so every so for me it was a creative way of like every single kid in the class got a page they got a story and they, and they all got mashed. Nobody got out of it. Yeah. So they didn't, you know, like one got stuck in the, uh, the pencil sharpener and got their head busted off, one, whatever. And one got thrown off the roof. And it was just funny stories. How the fuck did the teacher react? Nothing happened. She loved it. Like she, I got to read it like every day for a week. It was like my first time something I did popped off. It was like my first hit. Well, yeah, you must have wrote it in a way that it was. But I'm, yeah, but at this, and, it and wasn't just like fuck you guys. There was no swearing. It was just like you know, she was a very kind teacher, and then the kids got so annoying that she snapped and she grabbed one kid and did something, and then all the kids scattered. And the and the rest of the story is just her catching them one by one, <laughs> and then one student at the end surviving. Not me. Yeah. I, I killed myself off in like dope fashion. He survived, <laughs> and, and just like a corny action, like a corny. It was probably. Uh, Friday the 13th I probably just stole the story from watching yeah. that once just <laughs> Freddy chasing everybody oh, bro, and fucking, then somebody survives fucking Martin Scorsese the departed the elevator scene just pop 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 everybody fucking dies everybody dies <laughs> spoiler alert I think that was the first time I wrote something creative you know and other people enjoyed it and I think that was the original but I think you know, and then even as a kid, just used to make little dumb rap songs and stuff like that. But all of that was under the, this is for fun. This could never be for real. And I think maybe that that's the one benefit of not, of having realistic expectations. You can enjoy these art as just art, not as a job. Because like that, that's going to suck some of the fun out of it. It's, the difference, it's like the difference between dating and being married. It's like this, the, the, the paradigm shift is different. There's a, a different foundation that you've built it upon now. And it's going to have a different feeling versus youth. And it's a mature, it's, it's a mature, sustainable situation. But I think always remembering that 
Um, and that's what it always brings me back to. Because that, whenever I start working, that's all I think about is my like being 17 again. I'm mean, like, yo, I devoted so many hours to this and didn't think anything of it. Yeah. What was your uh, first rap name? First rap name? Or what, did you just start off with Humble Laporte? Uh, it was just hum. Uh, probably just humble. Oh, it was humble. Where, where, it was your whack. Everybody got a few names and then they yeah, kind of move into. Come on, you're not a genius. No, no, because humble was a screen name on like hip hop forums. So humble the poet came. They used to do online battle raps. Okay. And then yeah, 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 in yeah. one of the battle raps, it was like, yo, uh, you know, because everyone back then was talking about how the MC is better than the rapper, right. right? So I just had a battle rap line, which is like, fuck, fuck the, fuck the rapper, fuck the MC. I'm a poet. And then I won the battle and to rub it in, I said, okay, now it went from humble to humble the poet. And then recording in JJ's basement against the mattress, probably like Harmon in the room, probably Bubu in the room and JJ and some other people. And I was recording songs and I had Gunwar sing in, in the song title. And then somebody said, what are you gonna, what's your rap name? And I'm like, I was thinking humble the poet. And they're like, that was a whack. <laughs> and then same shit, fuck you guys, let me show you that it'll work. And some of the, some of the criticisms were good. Like humble was very long. That's, you know, well, shorter is better, blah, blah, like, blah. Think about it now with all the SoundCloud rappers. It's a very SoundCloud rapper kind of name. If you think about <laughs> it, now everybody's like three things, right? Not is like, it? I didn't even thought about that. Well, it's like, you know, like weird names like Wi-Fi is funeral, shit yeah. like that. JPEG like, Mafia. Yeah. Bro. Like, you know, the slump god, whatever the fuck these kids are called. <laughs> like, that... It's kind of in line with that. There used to be this some, like, aren't there some like Wu-Tang affiliates with long names too? Uh, Yeah. Like yeah. Well, I'm thinking like Jay Rue the Damager. Yeah. I guess I think it was coming from like it, it was in line with that type of feel. I guess Tyler the creator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you how uh, so you mentioned uh, JJ Jay Static as as we all know him. Um, how do you run into Jay Static? Because you've probably known him for the longest out of everybody in the industry. <laughs> honestly, I didn't even think about that. Um, honestly, I. Th- think it was most likely through Harmon. Yeah. Uh, Harmon went to high school with uh, Chichi, Jutunda, I don't know, what do we call it? La Tigre. Chef La Tigre. Chef La Tigre. My cousin, Latigre. that's my cousin, Latigre. yeah. So they went to school together and then um, I used to throw parties and uh, he brought Harmon to one of the parties and then back then Harmon and I were like the only, he was, we were both sober vegetarians. <laughs> so, the life of the fucking party. <laughs> the so, I guess so. We connected on trying to be the least lame sober vegetarians at a party or whatever. Because we still wanted to party, talk to girls. We just didn't want to do anything else. So what? You caught a bubble and then ate some fucking veggies. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yo, you caught a bubble sober, man. Just having 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 the nerve to make it happen. But catching a bubble and just holding yeah. the veggie <laughs> I think just from that, because I think he was hardcore. Uh, uh, he, Harmon was like the global head of like the cannabis uh, fan club, like real At shit. At his school, yeah, real. Sh- I think it's beyond the school, man. Yeah, who is that? You know, cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Harmon Harmon Sembi was like the yeah. a legit, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. card carrying. The <laughs> I think cannabis sent him posters. Yeah, so, like, yeah. He showed me it's a big Actually, poster, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. a signed poster. So I think cannabis. he always had that. He was a fan of the lyrics, he was a fan of all of that. So I think I was sharing with him. I was making music, and then like I wanted to make music. I could rap. I was writing stuff. Before the Kuja battle or after? <laughs> <laughs> before way and after. Before, way before. Okay. No, no. Well, no, yeah, yeah. We found out way after, but I mean, yeah, way before he kept it all, right? 
And uh, yeah, so then I think somehow mentioned music, and then I think JJ was like, "Yeah, I'm, I have a studio," <laughs> which was a, a microphone and a mattress. <laughs> and uh, J again, JJ was he was DJing, and then he was. Uh, What's the first song that you guys did at that place with the mattress? Wait, huh? Well, that wasn't my first mattress. There was a yeah. couple other. I used to date this girl who worked at um, Moore's. The suit store right there at Trinity Commons. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then one of her co-workers uh, was a rapper named El Nino. And he was like a Spanish dude. And then he was he was making music like like party music. Cool cool dude. And then he had... Gotta be like Pitbull? I don't want to even say Pitbull. I want to say more like Fabulous. He was like Fabulous. Okay. Uh, and he was cool. He was making dope stuff. And then back then, I was on a different hustle. I was printing t-shirts and stuff for people. And uh, so she, I connected with him because he was like... Uh, Yo, I need I need some shirts printed. I got some, some cool shirts printed for him. And he had a team. It was the first time I saw somebody with a team. So well, he, like a street team? He had two other dudes. Yo, people aren't even going to know what the fuck street team is. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're not going to even know that. But he had, he had two dudes. Like, he had people who were non, non-artists non in his crew whose only job was to push him. Like, they were they were his managers. They were they were, they were were those guys. The foot soldiers. The, I didn't want to say foot soldiers. I want to say maybe even, like, the Irv Gotti's. Oh, shit. Like, they were like oh, that. that. Yeah, yeah, because when we used to meet up, we used to always meet up at spots. We weren't meeting up, like, you know. He was he'd wear a nice suit for Moors, but then when the suit came off, it was dungeons and, and, and mattresses the same way. But yeah, I recorded when I used to record I used to record anywhere in the beginning, anywhere I could, but I would only record if there was an excuse. Like there was like a rap, there was like a, a, a contest where people were submitting verses okay. or shit like that. And then like uh, I was head over heels over a girl, I made her a song for her birthday. That's how I, I connected with El Nino. And that was the first time I had rap with somebody who like put in effort to record did me. It, did it work though? In what sense? Like, no, it was Romeo. <laughs> Romeo stuff. This wasn't. There was nothing to get out of it. It's just yeah, I was. I was corny like, back then. I was like, was, yo, seeing you smile made it worth it. The result satisfying <laughs> enough. I guess. I mean, it didn't last. It didn't, it didn't last or nothing. It didn't last, but that's okay. But that's the first time I heard myself recorded, and I was like, okay. And I sounded like Loon back then. Exactly okay. like Loon. Oh, snap. So, what okay. did you first think of your voice? I hated it. I still hate it. And how, like, how do you, like, for somebody that doesn't know, how do you work around something like that? You got to put in your hours. You just put in the hours. You just keep recording. Being an MC, being a rapper, or being a recording artist, better. Being a recording artist is like being a baseball player. There's more than one skill you have to master. You have to swing a bat, throw a ball, catch a ball, run. You have to do all these different things on an elite level. And it's the same thing with this. There's a lot of guys who might have a mighty pen, but they spend no time in front of the microphone and they sound whack. There's a lot of guys who spend so much time in the studio, but they didn't clock in their hours on stage and they mm -hmm. gas out. Yep. There's so many skills required in this, it's bananas. So you just got to put in the hours and you got to, and I think the, what somebody said to me was, you got to find your voice. And then after, from going from sounding like Loon, I started sounding like I was always crying. So I was like, oh, I was a poet. The man cry. <laughs> poet cry. That's every time I rap. And then, the man I, cry. The man cry. And then, <laughs> literally somebody, I don't know if it was Jay, yeah. just like, yo, do this, do it this time. It's probably sick because he, he's the asshole that said it straight. <laughs> he's just like, yo, do it again. Just don't sound like you're crying. And then I had to find a new voice. Yeah. And then you just keep finding new voices. And at the same time, like we, yeah, we have lower lower voices, and like this is way before forty yeah, but you gotta came try out. Yeah, you got to try. You got to yeah. keep trying. But then there's uh, like we were talking about it in in our pilot episode. It's like just being comfortable enough to be in a studio to just like do that in front of somebody, like testing to figure out how your voice should sound. If you don't have a home studio, that can that can be trippy as yeah. well. You know, like you don't. Like, there's so much shit that goes behind actually finding your voice. Like, it doesn't just, you don't just come on this, like, unless you're, like, 
lucky. Yeah. <laughs> have a dope voice. You got to put in the hours. And now's the, again, now's way better. Because back then, I, I used to pay Deep John Do. Pay him 60 bucks an hour for studio time. Really? Bought my first mic off Deep John Do. Okay. You know, so this like, I've been, you know, just trying to figure it out back then. Now it's easier to like get a microphone and plug it into the side of your laptop and just record, you know? Okay. And, but, and so back then, I, I read the book, uh, Stickman's book. Mm. Uh, the art of the MC, and that is the best book if you want to become a rapper. You just have to read the book. This is everything from how to address writer's block to what mechanical royalties are to what you better have complete before you step into the studio. You know, he was so he said, "Look, you're paying for studio time. You can't afford to make mistakes on the mic." So it was like record. You know, rehearse it 10, 20, 30 times, get it perfect before you start paying somebody to record you. And then back then I was a one hit a quitter because of that, because you had to pay. So it was like for one hour for 60 bucks, I could bang out two tracks. Yeah, that's what that's not what no more though. You <laughs> know what I mean? That. Yeah, because you slowly become a perfectionist and you hate everything you do, right? But there's that. There's, there's a whole bunch of other things too. I think uh, a six letter, man, a lack of resources creates an abundance of creativity. And then the second you have access to all the stuff you need, then it, it can make you a little bit, it can slow you down a bit. And you just got to be mindful of that. There's, sure. there's struggling, there's struggling, there's like, there's struggling because your circumstances require you to struggle and you have no other choice. And then there's, I don't have to struggle, but I'm going to forcefully make myself uncomfortable regularly. Like Will Smith, like The Rock. Guys getting, you know, these super rich guys who don't have to work again, waking up at five in the morning. Because they realized, that like, yo, it was in those struggles when I found myself. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. So once you, you get rid of the first struggles, you got to find the next level. Fast forward, at Rex Godora, there was a, a meeting of, like, young, sick professionals and talking about how they can, like, impact society. And one guy was a doctor, and he was talking about the increased uh, number of uh, HIV cases in our community because uh, truck driver men's was going down south coming back with the bug and then you know giving it to their wives giving it to their kids and, and then he was talking about the you know increased number of like cocaine related you know fatalities and 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 people losing the middle of their nose and all this type of stuff he's like we can't talk about this stuff and then he's mm-hmm. somebody said something stupid like the kids never listen and i think that's what in my head all of a sudden he said no you just don't know how to speak to them and then i think voice for the voices was my response to that it was just like yo Instead of writing off kids as dummies, like let me show you how you can speak to them and have the impact. And then that that went well above what I thought I would have ever done based off of that. So we had I knew how to use YouTube by then. We had a a following. I don't know how big it was, but there were people that were looking forward to the work and knew we were creating stuff. And then when that side of it came out, and then I think I did that and kept doing Harm and the Hater and getting more comments like do more music, do more music. And so. Th- with Voice for the Voiceless, because it was such a, a very raw song, talking about a lot of important issues within the community, uh, a lot of real stories in that song. What was the what was the feedback to that song? It was crazy. It was it was so I you know I made it and I talked a lot about uh, stuff that was happening here. A lot of those stories I just I was talking because I didn't know about that stuff either. And then I talked about what was happening in uh, Vancouver. And then I actually took at the end of the video and named every single person impacted by violence in mm-hmm. the last five ten years there. Yeah. So I got a lot of, and I didn't realize that this work was going to pass Toronto, you know, or pass even Rexville or Brampton. So then, and that was a lyrics video. And then somehow at a wedding, somebody stopped me and they said, like, 
thank you so much for that song and i thought that was that really tripped me out because i'm not there's no video i'm not in it yeah so like they there was enough piece required some piecing together to figure out it was me and then people in vancouver uh when we started going to vancouver years later with kd and them so many people like you wrote my brother's name on there anytime i've ever seen my brother's name written down they just make him sound like a monster mm. you're the first person to like put my, my brother's name out there in public and not make him look like a monster as a human being and these aren't things i was thinking about all at that time i was like yo let me let me look about if i can find these names let's do it like you know i want to i want to show people that number like this isn't a joke and uh, you, you you don't own it after it goes out. So it had that impact. And then that fuels you to be like, yo, what else should I talk about? What else should I talk about? And that's, that's the crazy thing. It's like, you're not, you're not obviously doing that to make a viral hit, you know? Like you're- The idea of viral wasn't even there back then. I, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that wasn't even a thing back then. It was just, let me see if I can do something for my community. And it literally, it, it spiraled into this, okay, now there's this interweb of Punjabi youth connected yeah. to YouTube somehow. Yeah, it, it was it was crazy. It started somewhere around there, like, because that's when YouTube was really starting to pop off. And Yeah, I just mean, Rain like, was hanging out with those Harmon and them. Like, he was, before he was making videos, he was always over there. Yeah. You know, he was, he was part of that circle as well. Did yeah. you show the video to your mom? Or your, like your parents, like what do they think of it? Voice for the voiceless? Yeah. No, Why not? no, I should. That was no, I was I was too scared to share my work back then, man. How about even like your sisters? No, one sister saw it, so she saw it. I think I saw it on her like Facebook profile. She posted it and she said something like, "My brother made this beautiful song." Yeah. And again, it was that that validation that I thought I didn't need, and the second I got it, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, like. Mm -hmm. And up until today, like, still talking to people who have so many people who have wax siblings. And I'm just like, yo, mine were cool. I don't know why I was hiding it from them. <laughs> All they were going to do was push it. And they still push my stuff, like, just as hard today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know that. They push it, man. Yeah, I see it every day. <laughs> so when I saw that, I was like, because it was a fear that I just made up in my head. I was like, I'm going to get judged. I'm going to get whatever. Because everything I did at that point was anonymous. I was doing anonymous battle raps. Yeah. You know what I mean? But even then, I, you know, I used to battle rap on this Outcast website. And then... I got lucky, I got to meet Andre, and I posted a picture. And I remember being insecure about posting a picture with him on that forum, even though it was the moment for the entire community, because that was wow. integral. They're like, one of ours got to meet him, and I asked him questions. I asked him the tough questions. What did you ask him? I asked him, like, um, was the ending of your album an artistic choice, or mm. did you just run out of time? For uh, Love Below? Um, yeah. Yeah. This is, it was that album release party I met him. Okay. And then I'm like, was that like some, like, I'm trying to be weird, like, and that's as far as I got. And he's like, no, I had a deadline and I ran out of time. <laughs> and then I asked him about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich reference in uh, uh, Dracula's Wedding. Yeah. I'm like, is that Sesame Street? Which I didn't know myself, but I read it on the internet. Yeah. I read it on the forum. Uh, and he got so happy when he heard that one. He's like, how'd you know? Yeah, it's a Sesame Street reference. Uh, I said, is, your, is this album about your relationship with music? And not a relationship with a girl and he's yeah. like yeah so it's like a lot of stuff i read so it, i impressed mm. him with the combined knowledge of that community so when i came back i was like yo i met him and then i remember posting and when i posted a picture of myself like expecting a lot of racism it was just like whoa how long did it take you to get that beard <laughs> i've been trying you know just a lot of positivity yeah. yeah and that was it for the long for the longest time when i first started it was a lot of positivity i actually thought it was hater proof and then then you slowly learn, like, if you're not, if people aren't being critical of your work, then you're not leaving your bubble. 
Like we, we you got to measure the success in the thumbs down now. Like that means you met new people, not the sure. people who are gonna love everything you do because they love you. When's the first time you ever hit a stage? Mm. Uh, I performed with uh, Lol had hired me. Remember Lol Forest? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They, cool. they, when I was a teacher, they hired me to do spoken word for. I remember they paid me fifty bucks, and I had a six-minute set. Um, I don't know if it was a stage. Yeah, it was like a little bit of a stage. You know, you know, you know, like the one-foot stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the first time, and and I actually, it's actually up on YouTube. It's there. It, it was a, uh, I think it was ten. It was February two thousand and eight, um, and I was doing a presentation right before Jagmeet's wedding, and. I played that as like a thing. This, this happened exactly ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it was six minutes, and you can the audio's whack because everyone's talking, no one's paying attention. But it was at that it was at that club that the play the record guy owns. Play the record guy, owner was a Punjabi guy too. Mm-hmm. I forgot the name of the club, but that was the first time. And then after that, you know, when we did El Macumbo. <laughs> that was yeah, 2009 so, we threw so, our own shit so we actually dove into the El Macumbo story uh, in our pilot episode because we kind of just interviewed each other for our uh, pilot episode nice and we actually ended up finding out a lot of stuff about each other that we didn't even know just talking to each other right yeah it um, was, ha- not to cut you off but it's cool because that was the first time you guys met each other first time I met Magic first time both of us met Fate and Bird so from that night was a whole lot of shit came out of that one night. Yeah, I, I met him before you two. Mm. Yeah. I don't remember when I met you. I just I was telling them I just remember that we were in that car outside Woodbine going over beats. Yeah. And you were talking about some guy you know in the basement bro, which was him. <laughs> you're like, yo, I got my dude named Noise, trust me, yo, this guy's fire. And I'm thinking, like, it's a next brolic dude. <laughs> yo, you showed me the cover, right? It's yeah. like some fucking dungeon. Brolic. And I'm like, yo. This has been hitting a bag in a basement. So <laughs> yo, man, it was. I, You know what it was, too? Because I think spending so much time with, like, uh, certain people who were just, you know, mad critical. I mean, it's even Rexel. Rexel's got, you know. It's not easy to impress a dude from Rex, though. You don't oh, come, yeah. you don't come with that stuff, right? <laughs> so I think a lot of it was taking pride in the fact that I could tell people, like, a, at first, I'm not whack, and back it up, and then b, I know more people who aren't whack, you know, and 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 being very confident that that you can stand behind those words because everybody knew somebody who wanted to be a rapper, but they all whack. <laughs> they all were like, they're not here, right? They were whack, you know, yeah. and to to be like, no, I'm meeting people and finding people who aren't whack that was so exciting it's finding a community finding a brotherhood as well how many people were hitting you up around the time where where i first started sending <laughs> every day bro every day listen man every day you weren't the first person no no i, I, I no that's what i'm no, saying but i mean you were, time, but i'm right? saying you weren't the first person i like opened the, the message and connected with yeah. you definitely weren't the last that's the same way the same way i met lily the yeah, same yeah. thing right like it was people and i think for me it was such a thirst for a community like yo where are my other weirdos at where are the other people who are not going to make me feel bad for doing this you know or just pretentiously be like so what are you going to quit your job for this like oh so how do how do how do how do rappers make money like even if they're not being rude they're just they're they're just trying to they're finding that insecure part of you and holding hands with it yeah, yeah. and like you haven't asked yourself that question before like you haven't done all that before you don't need to have somebody else ask you that, those questions repeatedly. And you meet other people like, 
okay, so when's the next song coming out? When, wh- what are you going to do different now? And just challenging you to be a better artist. And you're like, yo, I found my people. I found my tribe. And I think I was so hungry and thirsty for that that it, I didn't, I, it never clicked to me how many people, you know, that, that ended up supporting, how many people that ended up connecting. That, was, that, that didn't cross my mind. And I mean, even now, like, it, it doesn't matter. I think it's, it was so glad it happened. And I, just, I was on Bobby Friction last week, and that's the first question again. What's in the water in Toronto? <laughs> that's always the question. That's been, they've been asking that question since the beginning. What's in the water? Well, that's the thing, right? It was like right then there was like we said this, we're like, yo, the Punjabi creatives had to skip a, or we lost a generation mm-hmm. of creatives because of the the immigration to other countries, right? Yeah. And not having to not having the ability to pursue arts when you have to feed your family and send money back home, right? So we're like, we kind of owe it to them to be able to pursue these arts now that we are more comfortable in life and that's why we do have this generation of kids that are coming out from toronto and all over from the south asian descent right and yeah did we have it even before them have we have we had a wave of artistry in north india it came obviously I feel like we might not have. I mean, like, yeah. should we have shipatology? Like, everything's a everybody's a one-off. Yeah, like we had. It wasn't to like our level, at least yeah. like when we connected and stuff. Everything I saw was just like a, like uh, like like a copy, like a you know when I was telling the them, parody like, culture, like yeah, Bollywood. Yeah, I remember like those random guys that used to do verses on a Michael Jackson record, and they were not like really established rappers. Yeah. I felt like there was Punjabi people doing that. Basically, they see people did. still do that. And, yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah, right? and it's. But, it's been always there, so yeah. nobody really takes it serious, right? Mm-hmm. They don't even understand the the certain appropriation when you're talking shit about these people, but you're taking that and using it in this music. They, yeah. they have no understanding on how it's connecting to them. It's just like... I think even from, like, I'm thinking even, like, visual artists. So I know we, you know, whenever you look at paintings that are three-dimensional, that's British influence. That's what I was taught. So when you see the two-dimensional paintings, paintings of the gurus or whatever, that's from our lineage. But then I remember from what I learned, like, then you know you can't have your art thrive in a place of conflict which n- the northern part of india had forever that was the gateway alexander mm-hmm. the great was trying to get into <laughs> that you know dudes was holding that door closed and fighting and getting pillaged and you know for, forever so we never i don't think that space ever had like a an ongoing art, you know history of artistry we have rog we have we have some of the paintings and and then whatever art we did have like with our stringed instruments and stuff the British did a good job of. Yeah, fucking that up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not hold back on that one. <laughs> Royally fucked us up. People thinking, people thinking the harmonium is like a sick heritage item. <laughs> it's fucking. It's like cricket. You know, it's 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 the sport of the oppressor, but it is what it is. Tell them why you're mad, son. <laughs> <laughs> In the accent of the oppressor. <laughs> Just to kind of go back into the story. Um, so at this point, all sorts of artists and creatives are hitting you up. You, you, you've met me, you've met Noise, you've met Dusty, you've, you've met AK at this point, the Just Rains, all of these people, right? You're watching everybody working, everybody collabing together. What do, you fe- what, what do you think was about that time that made so many people work so hard at the time and Constant rele- uh, constantly released so much shit at that time. 
I think it was. I think the relationship with the creativity was so exciting. I think it was the honeymoon stage of it all. Yeah. Uh, without the ramifications, without the entitlement, without the egos, um, you know, it it was. You know, for those who know, it was short lived. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think back then, I think it, I think there was that need. I think every single creative, even now, a lot of people who are creative, people who are listening to this right now, they feel isolated. Yeah. When you when you walk your own path, that's 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 a guarantee. You're gonna be isolated. If you follow the crowd, the guarantee is you're gonna get bored. And when you feel isolated, you want to find people to connect to. You want to find people who, quote unquote, get you, or you want to be seen, really seen. Mm-hmm. Going back to why anybody does anything is to be seen. And um, I think at that point back then, there was such excitement to do stuff. There was sharing of resources. Uh, the stakes were very low. There really wasn't much to do other than trying to be the dopest, trying to come up with the best shit, you know, finding people to feed off, finding people to learn from. And then I think, you know, as everybody started to, to, to evolve and get their hustle on, you know, there was no mentorship. There was nobody there that could school us on what it meant to be popular, what it meant to be famous. Yeah. You know what I mean? The distractions that come with all this shit, the, how, what it does to your ego, the type of entitlements that come from that, and there was there was nobody there to keep. There was there wasn't an OG to be like, yo, like keep you got keep people in check, tell people what to do. Like yeah, who was a bunch of young kids running around trying to figure it all out at the same time. A bunch of newbies like too. The, like all of us respect respectfully were our own leaders in our own lane, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone had a different style. Yeah, different there wasn't no, like... Everybody was doing it alone for so long, too. There yeah. was no hierarchy. It was just, okay, you do this, I do this. Let's just try to make as much content as as, as possible. Oh, we got a bunch of musicians. Oh, let's bang out this song. Oh, yeah. we, uh, you make a video? Okay, come through. Let's shoot a video today. I'll bring out these guys. Yeah. And it was just the, that thirst of wanting to be around people that do the same things as you. Yeah, right? having that community. That, that everybody wants it community. It goes back to that thing of, like you talk about, making music without thinking about it. Yeah. Without thinking about, how am I going to market this song? Yeah. Well, how am I going to put it, put it on YouTube? How am I going to release it? What uh, platforms am I going to release it to? All yeah. these things that come later on in your career were fucking in none of our careers at that point. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It was, but at the same time, that's when you got the most traction when your shit was the most pure, even if it was raw. Yeah. It got the track. People felt that shit, you know. And I think that collaborate everybody collaborating to the points. It was cool, but I think also as well, you know, you spend too much time around anybody, problems can happen. I think I also noticed. I was noticing it from the from the jump that my upbringing and where i came from we're a lot more aggressive when we speak to each other um you know i remember telling something like, you know like if you say something to me i might be like get the fuck out of here yeah. that just means i don't agree with you yeah, yeah. and you know the other person being like you're telling me to leave and being like <laughs> what and i think that that was an that was an exposure for me i think another exposure that i realized too was like again there's also the like the tit for tat when you disagree like we we can disagree our voices can get louder you know and it settles itself or somebody outwits the other person and that's how i grew you've met my friends you know they're all assholes man like it's that's how i spent my whole time and then realizing doing that to a couple of other people that because now i'm I'm traveling to different cities hanging out with different people and i noticed it with a lot of different people in a lot of different places and i saw that start happening so i think miscommunications were happening 
then you know people are getting pissed off at each other for for maybe valid reasons but some people handle it different ways yeah. you know egos get in the room girls get involved that's always a distraction all that shit so i think you know and, and there wasn't somebody there to be like i've seen this before this is what yo what do you mean girls were never a distraction <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't even think in the sense that like there was a distraction from the work i think uh i think acquiring women men's conflict conflicting on the same girls all that type of stuff i just needed a segue to all your groupie stories i think the more interesting story is magic's groupie stories no, no, all right. <laughs> all right, to i think more interesting podcast, is the so. fact the fact that um, that magic like couldn't even connect to what i just said that there was conflicts with because he just existed on his own plateau yeah he's like well, guys like know. us couldn't we couldn't even exist because our yeah. oxygen doesn't even <laughs> are, we don't have the lungs for that I was just there for the art, man. You're just just there. The you art. were you were the Cookie Mart owner all the way up there, and we had to like <laughs> hike up this fucking mountain to get to your level. Man. Tragic rock star, the lineup <laughs> of girls, and so many girls wanted to save you. You didn't need saving though. <laughs> they thought you did though. Oh man, that, that's, that's what they told it's, themselves. It's nice Deal to with be the vulnerable shit, man. sometimes. You don't want to be saved. <laughs> you don't want to be saved. No, me and Humble have had some really fun times <laughs> at McMaster and several other universities. Oh, man, man. Oh, man. That, and you know what it is, too? Because, A, you know, I was working, so it wasn't it wasn't about the money. That's how we can, we used to measure it as well. Man. We used to measure it. And it's, it's no longer appropriate, but the term back then was hoe count. It's just like, yo, what's this man's hoe count? I remember <laughs> we, made, we made jokes. I got, in trouble, I got in trouble from somebody from saying that in, in a message. But that was a joke. Like, I don't care how dope that guy is what's his whole count? i don't care if his beats is dope. We're talking about king i remember that was a big one i don't care how dope king is what about the whole count <laughs> and that was just like the common joke so you know i mean that was a joke with houdini too man it was just a joke about just like yo all right cool you killed the verse so what, what, <laughs> what, what yeah what the girl's at and yeah. how, you, how do you what else are you gonna measure you can't put two person two people's verses beside each other and be like yo all right you killed it there you it's still subjective yeah, yeah. Not, not, not girls. So, but and, and it was a joke back then when we said it. But I remember looking at that as as validation, especially since we didn't know how to make money. Oh, I was just happy being there for drink tickets. Humble used to give me all these <laughs> drink tickets. So yeah. I would just end up fucking hammered before we were on stage. <laughs> But yeah, thank, that was the thing too but with thank you. God, I was only the fucking yeah. hype man. Yeah, I was only the hype man. If I had to remember my lyrics back then, oh, it would have been. Man, terrible. I forgot about that. Yeah, you. Yeah, you were. Uh, I was a young savage <laughs> in, back <laughs> in my days. You humble. just did this like two years ago. You, you require man. We we performed somewhere. It's the first time I saw him like a little wave while performing. Yeah, but he actually Where? pulled it out. I was impressed. The no, South yeah, yeah, I, I always came pulled out from South by or something. <laughs> I did my England show fucking destroyed. I heard about that one. Yeah. Bro, I don't know. JJ was like, I don't know how you were standing. Because JJ got me. <laughs> JJ's an asshole too, right? Yeah, holy of course, shit. the fucking DJ who doesn't have to fucking stand up in front of everybody will get you rocked before you're set. So, so Jay's static gets me <laughs> rocked. But yo, I fucking destroyed that set. <laughs> but at the end of it, like the next day, I was like worried. Like, yo, did I do a good job? And everybody was like, you fucking killed it. But I was like, yo, I was murked during that whole set. Yeah, yeah shout out to Humble's uh, drink take. It's going to good use. It's going to good use, man. <laughs> but I think it was, I think that was the fun part of all of it. It was just like yeah. not knowing what to do. not having And having. I think the expectations is what the big one was. Because 
everything was a first for the first time. There weren't no expectations. Like, well, yeah, I guess for a lot of artists, like university tour runs are like that. That's like the fun ones, right? The, yeah. the, the the drunken crowd that yeah, as a rapper you don't really like, but it's like yo, no matter what, well, only not gonna, like only one mic was working. I know. <laughs> Half the time I would just be bouncing around, which I didn't even mind either way. I was just there because yeah. you know I was I was there to have a good time either way. Yeah, it was. A <laughs> but um, okay, so I want to. We had a lot of fun in those days, but I want to go into. Um, you have gone through shady people in your life as well, right? So there's, it's not all just peaches and cream going along the way. What are what are what are some some obstacles that you may have faced in music, whether it's people or whether it's breaking barriers within music? I think the, the the big lesson I had to learn, and this this had to do with my upbringing. This had to just do with, you know, me staying in the school system and me sticking to the script up to that point. Was as a teacher, you're not in competition with your colleagues. Yeah. Like what what the teacher next door is doing doesn't impact me. Doesn't impact my ability to get paid. Doesn't. There's real. We're we're never competing for anything, and we're on the same team where the priority is going to be the students and their safety. So if I like don't show up to work on time, somebody's gonna watch my class because they care about these kids. They're not gonna be like, oh, he didn't come. Let let let's watch this explode. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, they care. And then to and never really and, you know and and going into the and teaching at a school from being in a school. You know, school has this this it, it gives you there's an uh, there's an illusion of justice. There's an illusion of there's somebody you can call to to sort shit out. You know, there's a problem, tell the teachers, whatever. And then coming into this world, it was like the first, I didn't work no corporate jobs. I didn't do any of that stuff. I worked for the government. There was no layoffs. There was, you know, things were smooth. And uh, there's the first time like, oh, there's people who are going to recognize my talent. And the way I'll know that is for them to try to get one in, to benefit off of it. That never happened before. Every time I met somebody who recognized anything I did well, they would support me. Yeah. But now it's like, oh, this, this dude's talented. How can I benefit off of that? And I think shady not shady we can call it whatever anybody can want it i understand like that was an important very important lesson and trying to have conversation with people who didn't go through the school system who had to start working at like 17 18 they figured that out much quicker mm -hmm. it was more of a real life thing i didn't i had no idea how much i was insulated from that world until i got into entertainment so it was like and entertainment till this day is dog eat dog you know i experience that on a daily basis just the people i experience it with now are much more charming it's just there's levels to this right there's competition cooperation and collaboration and what it is is a lot of people like i may not mess with you i don't care about you i don't care what we do but i know we'll both benefit if we work together that's cooperation mm -hmm. that's the best even now that's the best toronto's ever gotten to there's yeah. not the, the collaboration that's that's the next level of it but yeah you meet people who you know they 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 want you know they're they're trying their best to do things and some people learned that cutting corners is the best way to do it other people you know grew up in different households with different priorities and <clears throat> i grew up in a household where you know stuff like that wasn't a priority and i'm fortunate for that mm -hmm. so you come across people but i think and i think the biggest challenge with that is it isn't having those stories it isn't about what so-and-so did to me it's about all right who are you after that yeah because it's again going back to people it's easy to connect to people when they feel sorry for themselves like that how many people wear their trust issues like a badge oh i got trust issues oh I, you know like that's not nothing to be proud of that's mm -hmm. you're holding yourself back in life so i think for me that was the big thing after 
the initial experiences with the first few people being like whoa okay you know sitting back licking my wounds and being like yo i'm not built for this so how, how do you go on after you know getting burned maybe one too many times because yeah we know, were we were talking about that the other day we're like you know if if you do get burnt that many times and after a point do you just say you know what's the point of this anymore like why am i even doing this like yeah you, you, you do, do. You reach, do you reach that point where you're just like okay i'm gonna keep doing this or i'm not gonna do i this. want to kill myself yeah straight up in that condo by myself i just wanted to just fall off the balcony like problem solved i had a lot of debt i had no money i didn't want to tell nobody i was embarrassed i wasn't eating i lost i was 30 pounds lighter than this and i'm already a skinny dude you know what I mean? And I was NyQuil and Robaxa set every night just not to feel stuff. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I'm by myself. If anybody, if, if I choke on vomit, there's nobody here. What, what point is this? Like, like project-wise? I left, I left my job to work on a music project. I was working as a teacher and then I left it because uh, I thought I got a, a publishing deal, a music project. And then I spent a year living off credit cards waiting for that to come through. And then it turned out that that wasn't happening. Now, for me to, me to believe it was going to happen, whatever, that was all wishful thinking. That was all, you know, looking to, you know, not putting the pieces together. In hindsight, it was, it was very obvious. Somebody else who spent more time in the real world would have picked up on it. But again, I was, I was green back then. So then just, like, the financial impact that had on me and be like, yo, you don't have no money. You're like, 80 grand in debt. You still don't even know how to make money doing this. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it was also enough years had gone by where you were like, yo, I can quit today. And they will call me humble the poet probably forever, even mm-hmm. if I don't do anything. Every day someone will remind me of this shit. And mm-hmm. so then it was just, two, you know, three words, sink or swim. And then one night, one morning, J. Cole, Dollar in a Dream Part 3 came on. That's it. Mm-hmm. He talked to me. He's just like, what are you going to do? Are you going to grow cold? You know, I don't, I don't have the lyrics memorized, but you're going to grow bitter, grow cold. Mm-hmm. You're going to rise up from this shit. And that was the day. That's all it was. It was, it was feeling sorry for myself, which again, it's, it's a common thing because it's the easiest way for us to tap, to, to quench that thirst of connection. When you feel sorry for yourself, what you're doing is you're connecting with yourself. It's not the best way to connect with anything, but it's, an, it's a fast food way. It's the McDonald's way. Like how social media is the McDonald's way of connecting. Better connections can get made, but they require more work, right? And I was in that point, and then that woke me up. And just like, yo, sink or swim. You gonna feel sorry for yourself? And, and and probably enough time had gone by for me to be like, yo, I can figure this shit out. And then it was just having the uncomfortable conversations I was avoiding. I had to like sell all my shit. I had to move back home. I had to do a whole bunch of shit. I had to look at every single person in my life and just be like, yo. Because in the beginning, it was good vibes versus <laughs> bad vibes. That's what my life was. Yeah, was Fuck there, the man. bad vibes, people. Hello, goodbyes, people. Then it became like, yo, I need to get this. Sh- I gotta get work done. Like, I can't. I can't be chilling at. Shit got serious. Had to get real, real serious. Quick. I can't hang out just at the. St- I can't just hang out for the sake of hanging out I no am, more. I, I can't do whatever. Being, us being around you at that time, and it was just like. It was like, yo, shit needs to happen now. Yeah, there was. Like, that was like, it. I, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. That was your mentality back then. It was like. No, like, yo, this needs to happen now. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't just wait around. Yeah, it was, I, I, it was an important part. It was, it was a necessary part. It wasn't the, the, the best part, you know, because at the same time, I was so 
uh, I was so mad at myself for being in that situation that the first thing that I did and I shouldn't have done is I told myself I didn't deserve to rap anymore. I was like, you, you know, like this isn't making you no money. You, you don't deserve that. Because it, like, it's a waste of your time. Why are you doing it for? Because you? you had put that much effort into it and then now you're... Well, no, it's like, well, because well, in the beginning we were doing it for fun and then we thought, all right, we can still do it for fun and there's people who want to buy it. Then that wasn't true. Then all of a sudden it was like, yo, you don't know how to monetize this. You need to focus on the other things that will get you paid. Yeah. And the other things are spending three weeks booking a gig. Like, and so it was like, yo, why, why, you know, because we were just putting stuff out, putting stuff out, putting stuff out. Like, we would, we would, the, our output was amazing back then. Crazy. Numbers, <laughs> Crazy. numbers, numbers. Yeah. Then it was like, yo, I can't put out new stuff. I gotta, I gotta focus on this old stuff. Why am I just throwing it in the air and, and doing the next one, the next one? Because that was the artistic, that was the artist in me. Yeah. The artist in me, he fucked up. He had to shut the fuck up, sit down. And the, and, the, and, and the adult came in and just like, yo, shut up. Let's figure out how to make money. You can't make money off this stuff. You know, 99 cent downloads, what are you going to do? Where, the, where, the, where do other people make money? And just reaching out to people. And like so many times meeting these artists in England, whatever, and just being like, how do you make money? But how do you make money? You know? And then being like, yeah, I, I did a commercial for that car company. I did this, like learning about licensing, learning about all this. And I went way too corporate. I went the other way way too hard. I had to. I literally had to. And I remember I had to throw a show once a month. I had to throw a show. I picked the city. I found the venue. I made a deal. I'm like, you keep the bar. I'll take the tickets. And then I was like, yo. Um, and at the same time, I was like, you know, all of us were in school, working jobs and whatever. Nobody was full time. I, I was a full time. So I'm like, yo, I got to keep writing, but I can't keep calling people who are too busy to come to the studio. So then I started, you know, writing and, and with no music. And then I started doing that. And then that's where the book came from. And then once I saw the book, I was like, yo. I can sell this for money. Yeah. <laughs> so I started throwing shows to sell books. And then people used to be like, we didn't even know you rapped. We liked you for the book. Yeah. And just, you know, and, then I'm, and, and always remembering once that once a month rule and how it, lit I, how it literally was, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Calgary in a month. It was three weeks of setting up that show, not rehearsing. Not, the artist got no attention. And going up there and just doing... What, what, according to my efforts, was lackluster, but it didn't matter at that point. I had I had Boggy. The, mm. They just sat they sat around and waited for me to do Boggy. Yeah, you feel what I'm saying? And, yeah. and so at that point, and then it you know it, but it wasn't growing as because that's what I was doing when I thought the deal was coming. I was just being that artist, and I was I was challenging myself, writing these these verses and these rhymes, and yeah. just you know being Eminem about it. And then right. I just totally. I'm just like you, you wasted a year doing that. Now what do you have to show for it? And I think I was, I was very hard on myself, continuing that guilt and shame that 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 comes from our people, right? And then slowly as I got out of it, it's like, look, this shit was exhausting. All right, start saying no to money. Like you don't. We learned how to live off very little. You have enough in your bank account for one year. Money, you don't get to say yes because of the money no more. Do something that's exciting. And then that's when I realized it's natural flow. That's when I made way more money. That's when the opportunities to be way more creative came. But it's all part of the process. It's all tuition, right? Even when we were, we were doing all the inspirational stuff and, you know, wilding out, whatever, what we were were amateurs. Yeah. We were raw talent, having fun, but we weren't, we didn't apply a professional work ethic to it. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter if we showed up. It didn't matter if the work got done. It didn't matter if we hit our goals. It didn't matter. Because, again, none of us... 
and me personally back then, I didn't. I wasn't even thinking of it. It was gonna be a job. It was an icebreaker to meet girls. It was fun. <laughs> it was creative. Yeah, well, I met a lot of girls. Yeah, because I was making more and more money. Every year you work as a teacher, you start getting raises, and you're like, "Yo, this is turning into white collar money." I don't know nobody unless they sign to a major deal and get better. And I think that's what it was. I'm glad I got Duke. I'm glad. I'm, that, that's that was the pivotal moment because I I told myself back then because I used to perform. At brick, uh, at a what's that? What's that called? Um, Mayday, Mayday. Um, I don't even know they still do it. They just have a, a whole uh, art art festival in May, dedicated to the blue collar. So you be all blue collar workers oh. doing that. So you'd meet people who were, and it's like you know the, the like the law, the law world, mm-hmm. meeting these artists who are full time artists who paying their bills through grants, who doing all that stuff. I was meeting these people. And when I met them, meeting Mandeep Sethi for the first time, meeting a man who was hand-to-hand, $50 a day doing gigs, the thought in my head was, I don't want this life. Like, that seems heavy. I don't want that life. I'm going to keep enjoying my... I'm, I'm enjoying my teacher money the way most deaf enjoys his movie money. Right. And then make whatever music I want. That's how my mentality was. And then when this, when this proposed deal came, it was worth more than my teaching. And I was like, yo, this is better than, this is worth more than what I make a year. Didn't pan out, but it took me a year of denial to even recognize that. So who, who put you on the book game? That, that was like kind of left field. <coughs> but it kind of made sense in, when you're looking at everything that you were doing on Twitter and stuff. But that, it, who planted that seed? A lot, of the, a lot of that writing was probably done with, after all of this stuff, no? It, it, it was done after this stuff. Um, but I think... What it what it was it it was it was it was frustration, because I mean again I was I was mad at myself for what was happening so obviously I was frustrated I was mad at everybody so then I'd be mad if he had to go to work instead of doing work yeah. why would I be mad at that you know but back then I was frustrated JJ I couldn't get even now you can't get a hold of JJ right but <laughs> back then it was just hard to get a hold of JJ but now I don't have Fuck anything you, else not even bro I'm a pl- I, I'll play you a voicemail guy from yesterday I got a, his explanation to why he didn't come to my birthday well, party start with my bad my bad I forgot <laughs> and then made other plans you probably hate me right now That's no he's, he's, he's just like and I know you don't care but I'm still sorry <laughs> but yeah so back then it was, it was just a disparity and there was there was like what do i do and at the same time i remember so i had and this is when i was first hanging out with lily and i remember said to her i was like yo none of these guys are are, are all in and i don't blame them i was only all in because i thought i got i got chased with, with a fake carrot i didn't have the balls to just quit my job and pursue this like right. what this man did right and I was like, they're not all in, and I can't get anything done, and I can't, I can't afford to do w- one release every six months. And then she's like, then focus on something you can do by yourself. So, like, take them all out of the equation. Because it wasn't, it wasn't just, it was Gommel too. Like, we had a team. We, oh, it was yeah. crazy. But it was different in the beginning. Like, we didn't care if, if it took five days to get a video done. Now I needed shit to get done, and I still had no idea how do you make money off music. And what ended up happening was she was like, yo, do something you can do by yourself. So what I would do is I would just take a picture and I'd write about the picture. On, on, I used to collect dope pictures. I was just part of, I had a folder of them and that's what inspired me to write songs. So I just started writing, just free writing them. No beats, no nothing. And even hip hop, I was, I was doing spoken word. It was spoken word. I put Minority Report on the back. The spoken word fell on the beat, turned into a rap song. It was never, you know, it, these things, it just all just happened the way it did. So I wrote and I would, I just, and then I looked up blogging. 
I was in New York. I remember being in New York and I was, uh, I was staying at Selena's and we went to a library at her university. I remember like sitting at a desk and looking up blogging and one guy goes, how I blogged every day for a year. And he's like, you're probably wondering, how do you come up with stuff to write every day? I remember <laughs> reading this guy's stuff and he's like, well, the secret is simple. You just will. Just start writing every day and you'll never run out of things to write about. So I just started doing that. I started writing and then probably three, four months into it, people were like, you should write a book. And then after a year, I had hundreds of pieces of writing. Yeah. And then after that, I just I just took the I, I just took I took the pieces of writing that had the most engagement, the most comments, the people that connected with the most, and then I I put them aside. I looked at all of them, and then I brought it down to 101, and then I just built the book. And then the book was independent, and then now yeah, it's not. Let's go over that process for the. For, let's say for the listener who who may do a lot of writing, right? How does it go from yeah, I have a bunch of writing, to a book on the shelf? It was Google, straight up. It was like, yo, how do I publish my book? How do I independently publish my book? All right, there's a service called Amazon Create Space. These guys will take your book and print to order, so you don't even have to. You don't even have to have boxes of books in your basement. Somebody orders your book yeah, off yeah, Amazon, they, whatever. They all the inventory, all that. So then I was like, all right, cool. And then you go on Amazon CreateSpace. Okay, we need this type of file. I don't know how to do any of this. Uh, oh, yo, there's that dude. What's that dude? Darshan. Darshan, that dude, I know he prints pamphlets for people. That's his business. Hit up Darshan. He's like, yo, um, yeah, I can show you how to make a book. You got to use this program called InDesign. Man's, you know, bless his heart. He gave me three hours. Showed me InDesign. Then I word for word built the book. It took me, it was a year's worth of writing, but it took a year and a half to build the book. Yeah. And then after that, I learned about crowdsourcing and just kept, but again, people were telling me to write the book. So I was like, yo, you guys are telling me to write the book? I need some money. Yeah. And then I crowdsourced it. And then the, that was the magic moment, man. The crowdsourcing was like, yo, you asked for help. You put yourself out there. And I think that was another moment where a lot of people were watching. How like, much were you asking for? $23,758, which was 10% of how much I had to, how much my condo was worth that I had to give up. And you were still paying this off while you're doing this? No, I had to get rid of the condo. So I, what I pretty much had to do was I had so much debt. I was living in a condo that as a responsible adult in my previous life as a teacher, I had purchased as a, as a <laughs> real, as a, as a rental property. Yeah. And then when I got into this artist shit, I'm like, fuck, I, I, I kicked out my tenant and lived there. So it was, it was making, so then, and within that year, I had to, I had to sell it because I ran out of money. I couldn't pay the mortgage. That condo was live. That condo was <laughs> real live. Real live. A lot of good real recording live. sessions on that. You couldn't, you couldn't get a condo like that now. for uh, right. Not even half a million, bro. It's crazy. Bro, if that had happened now, I would have been dead for sure. Yo, real talk. Real <laughs> fucking sure. talk. Condo <laughs> But that, and that's what it was, man. You know, Viking Lane. Shout outs, man. <laughs> and it was a magical year. When, when I was in my ignorance, it was a magical year. Sure, but uh, I think I recorded probably... 75% of dream in that yeah. condo. Yeah. Legit. Yeah. That's fucked. That condo, that, that, that condo is good for you. Yeah, man. No, that was at, that was at your, your parents' house. That was at my parents' house. Yeah. Parents house. There was a bedroom. lot of shit recorded in this basement. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. There's a lot of yeah, shit. Yeah, we had some, we had some, like, we had some living sessions here, man. Yeah. yeah. I remember um, sleeping on that um, bed for um, a bit. stayed here with me and my pops. You know, wearing <laughs> little immigrant stories with breakfast every morning. It was beautiful. But yeah, it was it was that process. So yeah, he taught me how to build a book. So I built the book. I crowdsourced it and I just put myself out there. And at that point, 
again, it was just a beautiful moment. I had, I had met so many amazing people. And that was the big thing, the big takeaway I was taking from it, too. I was like, for every one whack person, and I, I, I mean, even at this point now, a lot of it is not even whack. It's scared people. For every, every scared person who, who makes poor choices out of fear, you meet so many fucking wonderful people. So it's worth it. It's worth dealing with these people. So just to, just to go back to the crowdsourcing, you know, you go through this experience where you, know, you mentioned how you got duped. Yeah. And now you're going to the opposite of that, which is crowdsourcing, where you know, it's easy to get jaded by a bad experience and not want to trust anybody. Yeah. But now crowdsourcing is the ultimate exercise in trust and saying, you know, I have this fan base and I'm trying really? to reach this goal. But Shout out to Amanda I'm Palmer, de- man. I'm dependent on the, on the fans and my friends to, to kind of support me to reach this goal. So did you, did you struggle with that to, to make that decision to do the crowdsourcing? It was you- scary. As sh- 100%. I mean, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. Shout out to Amanda Palmer. Amanda Palmer, for those who don't know, it was an artist who, who raised over a million dollars. Like She kind of put crowd, crowdfunding for artists on the map. And she ended her party to celebrate her, uh, her crowdfunding was standing naked in a room full of strangers and letting them like write messages on her as an ultimate here's my vulnerability he, you know everything i'm afraid of just she do was it butt ass naked yeah her her listening party was her butt ass naked and people went up to her and just wrote shit on um, her. magic myth that was her yeah, shit. Otherwise, that has to be the next, <laughs> <laughs> next list. Yeah, I would have wrote the most fire verse on her. Yeah. <laughs> yo, but that's what she did. And she was like, yo, I'm going to need you to come with me. Watch her TED Talk, though. <laughs> Everyone watch her TED Talk. Cause she, she, she really made it. She really showed me the, the beauty of it and the art. And, and the connect. it's all about connecting. Going mm-hmm. back to that same idea of connecting. And it was like, yo, this is what I'm trying to do. You guys have been telling me that this is what I should do. I need you guys' help to do it. And yeah, like I even made a list of like all the rich people I knew, all like the, the whatever. And, I, and any celebrity I met once that had given me their phone number, I hit them. I hit up Charles Gambino. This guy gave me his phone number. I hit him up. Probably the last time I heard from him after that, right? <laughs> but you got to do it. You got to do what you got to do, right? Fuck you, humble. Should have never given me money. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have given me my number. Now you're hitting me up for money or whatever. But it, it, again, it was what it was. I had to, I had to do what I had to do at that point and it was a catalyst it started off something for me and uh you know it 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 taught me a lot about how to the importance of vulnerability and finding myself again because i was i was mad cold after that and i had to be cold it's just i was going through my own healing at that point hey man that that is part of the immigrant hustle man when your Mm -hmm. back is against the wall you fucking you just got to do what you got to do and that's when you are the scariest form form of yourself because you're going to make shit happen no matter what. Yeah. And you know what, man? To be honest, we could, and I feel like with this being the inaugural episode, we, I, we can even stretch that idea of being an immigrant. Like our parents left their homes to a whole new world to create something better. Like we are leaving the template of life, you know, the Dr. Laura engineer. We're leaving our comfort zones. We're leaving our parents' acceptance. We're leaving all this to enter a new world to make things better in the long run. And a lot of the times it takes years and years and years to do it, right? And again, it just, you don't know what's in you until your back's against the wall. Like you're not gonna know what you're capable of doing, you know? And that's, that's the big thing I learned. Like I, the big things I learned off that was like, fuck fluffy motivational quotes. I hope I never, I hope people don't consider my shit fluffy. I try to ground my shit in as much realism as possible. And when you deal with it in realism, you can effectively do stuff. Like you don't have to tell people like, oh shit, you know, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Just have faith. Just be like, yeah, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You better dig for it. 
If you dig for it, it's there. If you don't dig for it, then don't be surprised if you stay in the dark. And I think those were the talks I had to have with myself. But that's how, you know, that's how we talk. So I, those are the talks I had to have with myself. And then when I started having those publicly, that's what made the book. The, the entire book is the talks I was having with myself mm-hmm. to keep myself off that balcony, to keep myself off of drowning in resentment, drowning in hate, drowning in, 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 in mistrust. Because all that, that's the real shit. If you lose yourself after a bad situation, that's the shit that sucks. I think if you, if you were a wonderful person before, figure out how to be a wonderful person after and take your time with it. Do you ever think about expectation as far as, you know, you put out Boggy, Boggy was huge, put out the first book. Does that ever weigh into your head as far as, you know, yeah, 100%. I've, I've done something great. Now, how do I follow that? There was so many like, and that was the thing, like it was in the beginning, it was all like, you know, how to deal with failure, how to, how to stay motivated. But there was nobody there to, to, to teach you about what if everything works out? What, what happens next? And yeah, like I remember as soon as Boggy popped off, um, certain friends, you know, being like, oh, I thought you wasn't that kind of artist. I thought you was, you know, and then having people you care about say that stuff to you and that hurts. And then it was like, you know, and then people in the community, you know, at that point back then, people was like, yo, this guy made the Khalistani anthem. This guy hates India. Um, there was that side. And the other side was like, yo, this man got hired by India to infiltrate our community and pollute them with this bullshit, you know? So it was like, there was from every safe space that I used to have, I was getting so much of all, all of this type of stuff. And then you're like, and then a lawyer, a music lawyer, you know, God bless this guy. He's a dope dude. And he's still in my life right now. He said, um, he put me on to India. So he, he vouched for me to go to India. He told folks, folks in India, like, you got to meet this guy humble. This guy, this guy's punk rock music. You know, I love this guy's shit. This after Boggy? Videos. This is right after Boggy. And he put me like he put me to the ears of some of the the gatekeepers in India, and then you that's go vested how, up, huh? Did you go vested up back well, there? <laughs> hey, that's a that's where we was thinking back then yeah. too, right? So these yeah. guys hit me up, and they were like, "Yo, we want you to come. We have a show called The Dorist. We want you to come be on the show." And I was like, "Where are you guys? Like, we're gonna shoot in Pune. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna we're gonna be based in Pune, and then we're gonna go to uh, um, we're gonna go to Bombay." And then we're gonna take you to Goa. We take all these places, blah blah blah. And then I was just like, oh, "What was that chick from that show?" Monica Dobra. No, 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 no. Never mind. I'm talking about the tattooed one. Oh, Bonnie. Yeah. Bonnie J. Yo, she yeah. blew up. She's still popping right now, man. <laughs> you put me up on her, man. She's fucking. Dying. She is dope, man. I'm still trying to get her in a video, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, she's been dropping too. Um, yeah, it was. And then I, in a conversation with them, I said, "Look." Uh, my mother's very uncomfortable with the idea of me going to India, considering some of the things I've said, most yeah. notably, fuck Bollywood, most notably things about the government, whatever. And this guy was like, all right, cool, bring your mom. We'll buy her ticket too. And then that's Get it. you both clapped up at the <laughs> same <laughs> time. <laughs> Get you both clapped up. And then I think that was the thing. So we went and we went to Goa. And, that, and we're not in Punjab. We're in English-speaking modernized parts of you know and people in india and it was like my mom my mom asked them she's like you know i know he said stuff about bollywood you know what do you guys feel about that and he's like he just said what everybody who works in bollywood feels like that we all say that Mm. and somebody else he's like yeah he's like when you said fuck bollywood i was like yeah fuck bollywood (laughs) i'm gonna still work for you and get paid but yeah fuck bollywood like they they looked at it from that perspective they didn't get offended they didn't, you know, the, it was all the people here that got offended. Nobody else, you know. 
And it's still messy. You know, I remember I was in Delhi and some dumb kid came up to me and he was like, why are you, why are you shouting out Pakistan? Why, why are you saying so much about Pakistanis and, and, mm. and, and Punjab? I'm like, because there's more Punjabis in Pakistan. He's like, no, there's not. And even his friends were just like, oh, man, like, did you skip school or something? <laughs> like, like, and just mean people get offended off of that. It was, it was crazy. But taking me, him taking me to India, but at the same time, so he took me to India, had all these crazy experiences. And then I came back and I met up with him in New York. And then he said, yo, I didn't just pitch you to India. I, I just because he, he was a lawyer he, like, even now like he's he's a lawyer for like the Migos he does stuff for everybody he goes I pitched you to everybody I pitched you to 50 Cent I pitched you to everybody and then I'm like well, I appreciate it I appreciate the love he's like yo you want to keep this up make another buggy and I remember my heart just dropped mm-hmm. and again that same kid from being like, I ain't fucking making no fucking I ain't making no fucking catchy songs ever again yeah. fuck that shit and I never did yeah I just came out with hard shit after that and then again, the only time I came up with another one was when JJ pulled him a Jedi mind trick on me. He's like, you don't even know how to make club music. I ain't, I don't, because I'm a DJ. I never play Boggy. People don't want to hear that. I'm like, what do they want to hear? He goes, they want to hear like Punjabi MC shit. I go like, you pick the beat and I'll rap to it. And then he picked Morning and then I wrote that. Yeah. And then that shit popped off again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was always like, I can make the catchy shit. I don't want to make the catchy shit because of my ego, because of my stubbornness, because of whatever. Yeah. And, uh, but then... What ended up happening was like, yeah, you start to have these expectations and, and even till today. Uh, but I think now I'm a little bit more cognizant of it. Like, yeah. you know, I drop a music video like hair, the sound, the feel, the vibe of it is so, you know, it wasn't my idea to drop the song. It wasn't even done. And I'm playing, I'm playing it for Che, mm-hmm. Manifesto Che. And I'm playing him all my songs. And he's like, yo, why are you rapping? Like people don't believe you can rap. And I was like, I don't know, like, that's what I do. And he's like, How come, what about that song? That song, he goes, I, he goes, I have a feeling, what he said to me, he goes, I have a feeling that, like, a lot of your fans are girls. I was like, yeah. I go, my affiliation with Lily, I write books. That's a much female. He's like, why don't you make songs for them? And I'm like, well, I got this one song, and I played him that. He was like, that should be the song you release first. Mm-hmm. So releasing that, and then obviously having Lily do a girl-on-girl scene in the music video, creating all these multiple moments in there, yeah, yeah. you know, it's probably like at 2 million views right now. Coming with another video after that, I know it's not going to have those elements anymore, so I don't have those expectations. I'm not like, ah, oh, my second release didn't pop off the same way. I'm understanding now how these things work, and I'm, I'm being able to manage my expectations accordingly. But in the past, it was like, shit, how am I going to recreate what happened with Boggy? How am I going to recreate what happened with this? How am I going to recreate what happened with the first book, with, the sec- you know, with all these different things? Like, the first book now is a bestseller. You know, now it's like, oh, now, you know, my second book that I published independently is dropping with Indigo in September. Do I, do I have to stress myself up to keep those numbers up again? Because it's a book that I already wrote. Like, what can I do different to change the outcome of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And what they're doing, like, they're just going to bounce it off the trampoline. People dig it, they dig it. But, I mean, luckily, I got to have a conversation with somebody who has a bigger fucking hit, <laughs> the man Pharrell. And I straight up asked him, I said, how do you make music after Happy? How do you do anything after happy? Yeah. And he's like, why does that matter? I'm like, because it was such a big hit. And he goes, who made it a hit? I'm like, you? He goes, he goes who made it a hit? And I said, you. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I didn't make it a hit. He goes, the Minions people asked me to make music for them. I made them nine songs. Happy was number eight. I sent it to CeeLo. He kept it for like six months then sent it back. Then I recorded on it. And he goes... Then whatever popped off, popped off. And he was like, and the analogy he used was, he goes, it's like a pearl. 
He goes, a pearl in an oyster shell. He goes, what determines what kind of pearl you have, the shape of the pearl, the size of the pearl, the value of the pearl is going to be the type of clam, how deep in the water the clam is, where this water is on the, in the world, the temperature of the water, the time of year. All of these things impact the pearl. He goes, who gets to take credit for the pearl? He goes, happy was a moment. He goes, I was a piece of the moment. That's it. He, his ego was not connected to the success of the song. He goes, I'm only here to play my part. And he goes, if, if it does what it does, it does it. Cool. He goes, maybe if CeeLo sent it back to me a month before, it wouldn't have popped off. Maybe if he did it, it wouldn't have popped off. Maybe it could have been a bigger hit. He goes, I don't even think about that stuff. I'm just a, he goes, I'm just the temperature of the water. And I think that, that reignited, like that, that was, you know, a magical moment for me. And I was like, all right, cool. <clears throat> Let me just be a piece of all this kind of stuff. But it's tricky. It's hard. Because now you start working with partners, corporate partners. And these aren't people who, these people, like, their job is measured in numbers. That's all they care about. How do you kind of, like, uh, set the expectations? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, like, you're going into the, these partnerships and they have a certain expectation. And how do you kind of, like, wheel it down that, hey, I'm just here to create. What happens, happens. But, like, don't hold me up to certain metrics. You know what? They get it. I think the one thing that was happening, because again, in LA, my resume ain't shit. Nothing I've ever done bats an eyelash, because that's LA. Everyone in Hollywood's doing big things. It's in America. The scale's bigger. The money's bigger. Everything's bigger. So I was spending a lot of time there, still feeling I was at the bottom of the totem pole, right? And speaking to somebody like an agent in the industry about, you know, these are the people that connect you with people that get you money. And then and what she said to me, it's always, always just these conversations with people. She just said, good ideas will never go out of style. You have good ideas. That's it. Because a lot of people also get opportunities based off their fame. But again, respect to them. Nobody was born with it. You know, they all built those followers. They all did whatever. And you, you catch yourself. You spend too much time in those worlds, you start thinking like them. L.A. rubs off on everybody. Everybody goes to L.A. and hates on it, but it rubs off on everybody. That's why I'm here. That's literally why I'm home. I know how long I can be there before it rubs off on me, and I come back home. And every time something worked, you start thinking, like, oh, shit, what if this is the last? Like, I remember when I did the Apple commercial. What if this is the last big thing that ever happens for me? Like, your fears start coming in. You got to recognize who's talking. You know, it's so your little insecure little inner child talking. Is it somebody who hurt your feelings 20 years ago talking? Who well, knows? Being around somebody that has the work ethic of Superwoman it obviously rubs off on you, but it also must be like, oh, I'm really not doing fuck all with my life compared to... She does more in one day than I do in three weeks. Yeah, that, that's easily, the reason why easily. she's gotten to the point where she's gotten as well, right? She, but but and, and and even but and when you experience that, you always and then you're a guest in her house, and then I'm like, man, I'm, am I overstaying my welcome? Yeah. Why should I even be here? Mm-hmm. You know, and then me and her had a conversation a long time ago. She, she she everything that I try to do for other people, she was doing for me. She was just like, look, get your shit sorted out. Like you don't have to worry about anything when you're here. Be the weirdo you want to be. You don't have to play the game. Like That's what she did for me. She created an environment where I didn't have to play the game. I didn't have to network with nobody. I didn't have to do no bullshit. All I, all I got to do was focus on making good ideas, not worried about if they're marketable, not worried nothing, and then meeting people with brilliant minds to help me make whatever necessary adjustments. 
What's the greatest thing you've learned just being down there, like now having access to places you may not never have gotten access two, to? Two things, that? two things. First one is never take it personal, even when it's personal. If you can do that successfully, mm-hmm. you're gold. And number two is, is fuck everything, just work on your craft. The only reason anybody can treat you like shit in this industry is because you're replaceable. If you focus on your craft, there's a lot less people who can replace you. Nobody can treat Kendrick Lamar like shit because that's 14 years locked in the studio before no, anybody heard him. Right it's there. just craft. Like top, what Top Dog created for those guys, he just do this one thing, and I'll handle the rest. And that concept that you don't need a Top Dog to do that. Just create your craft. And you will continue to bubble. You continue to bubble up, and you will be less and less replaceable. And then your craft becomes your ultimate leverage. And I think that that was a big thing I had to learn because I was in the early days. I was trying to meet the right people. I was trying to do all those things. It wasn't even about meeting the right people. Sometimes you meet people like you meet them randomly, and then they're like, "Yo, let's stay in contact. Let me, let me you know, here take my number. Let's just whatever." And then you're like, "Yo, I'm gonna hit this person up to help me with this next video. I'm gonna hit this person up for all these things." But the reality is, is like, yo, just get better. I'm perfect example today. Uh, a, a man I met in 2014, uh, a really talented rapper in 2014, and he's still popping. He signed. He just signed to a major, and we just kick it whenever I come to the city, chill, whatever. He just hit me up today to set up a call with his uh, label to do something creative to support his release. So like, he's not hitting up Humble the rapper, he's hitting up Humble the director, you know? And it was four years of us just chilling. Like, and now we're friends working together. It's not a networking thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think, if you know, some people spend so much time trying to play the game, trying to meet these right people, but if you just continually do the thing that you're supposed to do, you, you will bubble up. It's not no law of attraction, it's no, none of this bullshit, it's just straight, you will bubble up. You will become better than other people. And especially in the arts, it's not like you have a shelf life like an athlete. Your knees aren't going to get out. You can still be creative and have great ideas. And as she said, great ideas don't go out of style. People will always need good ideas. I think that was one of the, the most... It's so obvious, but you don't, you don't think about it in that sense. When you shared um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, you shared that book with me and I was reading it and it's the most obvious thing that it says in the book but it's like just work on your craft just do the work just show up every day and do what you're supposed to do that that can make a that book makes a world of difference that book it should be a bible like that should have bible level respect that book the war of art i don't even think you have to be an artist to read it no the war of art the war of art stephen pressfield buy that book four times i'm not kidding that book the two reviews I have is that book changed my life or I had to put down that book because it, 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 it was overwhelming to read. That book is just, this man wrote, he wrote a movie, he wrote a book called uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance that turned into a movie that Will Smith starred in. But this man had 20, 25 years plus as a writer with nothing, like nothing popped off. He, he popped off in his late 40s. Yeah. And all he would do is like, he'd work Mexican immigrant jobs pick fruits for six months, stack his money, and then write for three months, run out of money, find a new labor job, stack money, and write. Like, he wrote, he wrote because that's, 
he wrote with the same level of like purpose as like this is this is what I do. I am a writer. Everything is based around me being a writer. They, I don't know what his ambitions were, but nothing popped off. I don't know how you do, you work for twenty five years without any results. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. But and he wrote this book called The War of Art, talking about the daily battles artists face, and he, and he frames it as resistance, and just everything from doubts and fears. It's levels to it. Yeah. Again, once you get over your parents disappointment and then you get over your community's disappointment eventually the only person standing in front of you is just you and your bullshit insecurities and your childhood baggage or whatever you're carrying and he does a really good job of identifying that and then the second book is called turning pro i haven't read that one yet and that's where he makes the difference he differentiates between the amateur and the pro and then that's that's the second book where you're just like ah oh, man this book's making me feel like shit because i'm, I'm yeah. pulling amateur shit <laughs> Okay, well, we could talk all night. Just to, we'll wrap up with a few little things. If you guys also got any questions, we'll get them off. But, um, so, book-wise, you've done really well. You just released music, still dropping music videos. Um, are you leaning towards one more than the other? What do you see for the future of Humble the Poet? Do you still have the burning desire to make a project do you want to make uh, just make random songs and see what happens or is it do you feel more satisfaction now with maybe the book releases um no nah, man it's, it's hip-hop till i die it's uh the book the book situation the way it, it, it definitely there's a part of it that i that i enjoy doing and i appreciate it but i also do kind of see it as a path of least resistance because it's like when I had to get something off my chest 10 years ago, it had to rhyme. Now I'm getting stuff off my chest and I can free write it in five minutes and, mm-hmm. and guaranteed an audience of X amount of people to, to do so. So what now is I, I, I've signed with a, it's funny, instead of as a rapper, as an author, I've signed with the majors. I've signed with the majors. I've signed, you signed with, a deal. You get yeah, your I got the bag. Got your the publisher. I don't even know what kind of chain you're getting right now. <laughs> rock a book. It's just, no, book it's, yeah. it's, it's a, um, I'm, it ain't dry yet, but I'll tell you guys that's a publishing company, though. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. yeah, hey, there's, music got his ass kicked by the internet. Books did not. Books thought they were. They thought e-readers were going to be the shit. E-readers hit 20% max, and then now it's going back down. Now we got the shelfy culture. People like buying books just to fucking take pictures of owning books. and taking vinyl. Yeah, it's vinyl. <laughs> yeah. It's vinyl shit. Probably even a little bit more than vinyl in terms of like the number of sales. Long term, knowing that I'm 70, 80 years old, writing books still makes sense, and it'll still be possible. Hip-hop probably won't. Or who knows? Just uh, Jay-Z decides that for How us. How does that even work, though? Like, are you signed to, like, Death Row Records for, like, five albums? Like, how does it work? Like, no, I, 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 I uh, am I'm so, I'm very fortunate. So what happened was I dropped my first book independently. And I was, you know, selling on a good month, 100, 200 copies, not too much. Um then what happened was I went on that show Canada Reads, CBC Canada Reads. We talked about books. Which you won, right? Which I won. So we geeked out about books. And then um, I took it because I'm like, you, you, y'all going to pay me to geek out about books? Like, this is win-win. And so uh, I did the show. I won the show. And then all the publishers hit me up because they found out I, I'm a writer. Yeah. So when they hit me up, um, and there's only three big ones. It's like, you know, there's Universal, Sony, 
And uh, what is it? Penguin, Penguins one. It's Penguin, Harper, and Simon and Schuster. So I sat down with all the three big ones, and then they own the smaller ones, just what like labels. Simon. The he feels like a sign. Ink ain't dry, bro. Ink ain't dry. Ink ain't dry. I can't. I, that, you, you learn how the game goes, bro. Ink ain't oh, dry. Ink ain't dry. Fuck up the bag. <laughs> Straight up. But um, so they all hit me up, and then I was like, "Yo, I wrote two books, and I sold them. I was only able to sell them to people who knew who Humble the Poet was. Like I never, I never." advertise that are sold it to people who like reading books that's the audience that you should be appealing to right yeah. and i was like yo i'd love to like bounce my original book off a higher trampoline and all of them said no they all they like, will take your next book we'll sign you for a next book like we don't want the old stuff and then i was like yo but the old stuff because then you think like, even like even like uh like gambino signed with rca and he got his old mixtape stuff on like spotify like you you start to push the old stuff, build a buzz for the new stuff, and I'm thinking music mindset, whatever. And I'm I remember having conversations with them like, yo, so if I don't wanna if I don't wanna advance, because I'm thinking label shit. Like if I don't wanna advance, y'all give me higher royalties. And like, no, because they don't they don't care. They're they're so old. And at the same time, like, Rupee was killing it. Yeah. Uh, Lily was killing it in the book game. So they were schooling me to the book game. And you start realizing, like, yo, those, those they're like the like, Rupee's like the Jay Z Drake yeah, of that. And it. she was she was explaining to me all the, the 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 barriers and roadblocks that were happening. And I was like, yo, this does not seem like fun. I'm making music. Like, I I wasn't like I'm not even I'm not even gonna get into this world. I'm just gonna focus on making dope music videos and just have fun. And hopefully, I don't run out of money. Cause I'd made money from like I'd learned about influencer money how to make money as an influencer how to you know and then i was all like apple uh, i was getting some decent deals that were paying so i was like yo i'm not going to chase this publisher shit i don't want to write a book the indigo hit me up and they just hit me up straight because just serendipitously a guy i went to school i went to uni sorry one of my homeboys that i used to like party with at mac he owns a restaurant on the east side uh his restaurant called east of york dope food uh, i just sent chichi there uh, one of the, like the Indigo directors was like just having dinner there, and then like was it Heather? No, no. Heather's the owner. Henry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have you met Heather's specs? Heather's a little yeah, yeah. yeah. I went to her house, bro. Yo, you I had a, I went to her house. Oh, I had dinner. God. I had dinner with her and Chelsea Clinton, bro. Wow. It was a name dropping. Name here. Like Yo, right. the name drop. You want to know why the name dropping? I'm gonna tell you why the name dropping is important for this context. <laughs> The city of Toronto is the only place where mans that look like this can get a seat at the table. That's true. Yo, those are some fucking bars right there. No, real talk though. <laughs> like it's, I, know, yeah. I will continue to pursue seats at these tables because those tables are where all the decisions are being made, continue to be made, and that's how this game goes. And our, we, we are a heritage of, of fighters. And we and the battles it ain't swords and guns no more. So we got to learn how to fight, and and you and you got to be around people who know who know the game. So that's always gonna happen. So the name dropping and all that type of stuff. It's I'm in this, and that's why I'm here in the city now. Mm -hmm. I'm not. That's why I'm not trying to live in LA. I'm not trying to get no green card. I'm not trying to be in that game because that's old. That's just been established for hundreds of years. This city's on the come up. This city is open. They don't they don't care what you look like over here. They're not trying to close you down like that. You know, it's that different kind of racism. It's that, oh, is he green? He's green, he's one of us. 
oh that guy ain't green that's it you either you got it or you don't and it's, and it's learning that game right but um there was some other director at indigo um and then he's like yo this guy wrote he and then my homeboy was talking to him he's like yeah he wrote books and everything and he just advocated for me and then he read the first book he liked it he was like yo we just want to republish your book we just want to change the cover so I was like, you're going to give me money for emailing you a PDF? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. I was like, cool. God and damn. then they came up to me and they're like, yo, you, uh, see how you like, because I had, like, if I wrote shit, I wrote S-H star T. They're like, so see how you like censored out all the swearing? They go, Heather read the book and she said, get, get rid of the censorship. And that threw me off. So Heather's like, a fucking real G. Heather's just down with the shit side here. Yo, she 100%, she's a G. I met... See, even working with Apple, it was it, my in the entire time I'm like, yo, these are gonna be suits. These are gonna be people telling me X, Y, Z. It was the opposite, and that bit me in the ass. So it was like, so what do you guys want? They're like, uh, so it was. Uh, they're like, just do whatever feels right. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, somebody borrowed my mic right now, so I'm gonna have to record you just like a ghetto garage band version. Is that cool? Maybe the whole poem should be in garage band. Yeah, do that too. They literally <laughs> just said yes to everything to the point where I was like, can I, can I get a couple, can I get some structure? Can y'all tell me like, like, how long do you want it? Just whatever feels right. Like they just kept saying, any, and I was just like, you guys are doing the exact opposite of what I thought you guys would do, but now I'm just confused. I have no structure. I have no guidelines. You guys are just <laughs> telling me like, record it, on, record it on a laptop. Send this crappy audio. Just be you, humble. It was. Yeah, just be you. And then I went on a recording session to their like top secret labs that they have because like these guys, Apple owns their own ad agency. They don't hire people to make their commercials. So like they make iconic ass commercials. So I went there. I had to tape up my phone. I had to tape. I had to tape up the camera on my phone. I had to tape up the camera on my laptop. I had to like submit them. You can't record on them there. And I had had a session with them, just reciting the poem over and over and over again. And uh, they're just so you're like part of the Illuminati now is what you're trying aiming to for it, bro. We're aiming for it. That's it. That's uh, this, this, <laughs> even within that, man. There's levels to the Illuminati shit, right? Like you, we can create. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to set up even within our community. Just yo, thought leaders and and people who are who are open to new ideas and just being like, look, we all don't have to agree on shit. Let's just find one common thread. I think, I think a, a good example is how. Uh, shout out to Just Ring What he did to the TSA He handed, he handed it to him yeah, yeah. Everybody in the TSA Has to watch a video With Just Ring in it now You feel what I'm saying Like yeah. he handed it to them And then the same shit Happened to Wires He handed it to them Like they handled it Legit So I feel like They set a tone now So anybody You know So the rest of us Because if it was me The first guy Who got punked at the <laughs> airport Because I was waiting for it It wouldn't have been classy it wouldn't have been classy, and it probably wouldn't have been effective. I was just like, I wish someone would. I wish someone would. So Rexdale in you would have came out. It did come out. It came out a couple <laughs> times. I just didn't, the only thing now is I, I still pick the fights. I just don't talk about it on Twitter after. I don't go on Twitter to talk about it because I know I was wrong too. <laughs> I fucked up as a security guard in New Jersey. She came at me for no reason. She came at me after I left the plane. Like after I left even the luggage. Like I went out to go catch an Uber. Oh, yeah. And then, like, I'm outside, I'm like, oh, yo, this is a long ride. I better, like, go use the bathroom. As soon as I went inside, I'm all I'm hearing is, like, gray sweater, blue blue luggage. I can hear it on, like, the loudspeakers. <laughs> and she's like, let me check your ticket. Let me check your this. I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm nothing to do with this. I'm like, you just picking on me because I have a beard and turban. I just kept saying it louder and louder. Yeah. I'm like, why y'all do this racist shit? She's like, it's not racist. I'm like, why you guys do this racist shit? Until she got uncomfortable and walked away. <laughs> and I was just like... <laughs> That's uh, it. Fuck the TSA. <laughs> just make it back. They got again, but they got a lot too. I don't know why. <laughs> Fucking magnet. But do you not notice yeah. the difference after the Just Rain thing? 
I noticed the difference. I haven't. I get away with beanies, bro. Yeah. Beanie, I just, I'm just rocking the H&M beanie on my head. And they're like, is that religious? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that because they, cause I, I don't have time to explain to them that, oh, I have hair or whatever. Because they, yeah. they look at that as, oh, that's a hat. I'd rather just go like this. Yeah. They'll be a bit more timid. It's like, okay, I don't want an issue. So, yeah, you're good. I think it all depends on how much time I got before the flight. <laughs> if you're 10 minutes like, if it's 10 minutes then it's just like I'm not picking no fights if you got 3 hours before your flight then it's like but I've been internationally you get it way worse what's the worst country you got it US US yeah oh you never never only only one time in UK but they didn't even like all they did is just they pulled me to the side they said you're just a second I was cool and I'm like did you find anything and he's like Nah, I'm like, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, bro. I'm like, all right, cool. Thank you. Uh, Man, traveling with magic, we always have like oh my God. internal I, dialogue. I like, yo, who's going to get... Who's going to get pegged worse? Ever, they creamed us. They oh creamed us. Oh, my God, man. Like, so the, the get out of the, they said, get out of the car. Yeah. The cheesecake story. No, my shit is still fucked, bro. I, have, I still have a Norwegian passport with permanent residency here. So no matter what, I have to go inside whenever I cross a border. It's like a I have a seven dollar, like seven and nine dollar fee that I have to pay anytime I enter enter America through border. If I'm flying in, it's all good. They don't they don't give me a hassle. When you're driving through, I go inside, they fucking finger scan my shit, fucking see my charges, all that bullshit. <laughs> right? But yo, it, it was all good at one point. But then there'll be like random shit like, yo. Yeah, your fucking stamp was was coming in this time, but then you don't have one for leaving. And I'm like, yo, that's your motherfucking job. Like, that has nothing to do with me. Right? And then they're asking you all these questions and shit. And it's just oh, fucking annoying. But this one time, me and Humble went to Buffalo with my brother. I think my brother just had to go pick something up. And I was like, I was like, I was like Humble, you want to come? He's like, sure. I was not? staying here. Oh, yeah. He was, he was staying here. We were recording or something. So he's like, I think he just had to come, right? So we're going to the States and my dumbass brother, right? Instead of saying he's just going there to pick up a package, right? He goes, yeah, we're just going to cheesecake. First of all, two fucking Punjabi kids with Norwegian passports yeah. and, a, and a fucking full out Sardar with yeah. a Canadian passport <laughs> in the backseat saying that they're going to Buffalo for cheesecake. Yeah, now it does kind of sound sketchy to me in my head, but it's like these motherfuckers went straight to machine guns out yo they not said to, not to get, get out, out of the of car it. straight to machine guns <laughs> and then they're like get out of the car leave everything including your phones including in the car your phones in the really? fucking car yeah laptop phones everything leave it all my in the car like, just get, get out my jacket he's like yeah he goes to grab it opens one door it's on the other side so he closes the door he goes i gotta get it from the other side he goes nah you can't That's get your it. jacket no more go inside like that off the rip. Just off, literally. Off the rip, not explaining anything, not nothing. Like machine guns off the rip, nothing. And we're just sitting, now we're just sitting in a room. You're just sitting in a room doing absolutely nothing. Fuck off, blah, 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 scan, everything. I think it was, at least, it was at least an hour. All right, no explanation, no nothing. Oh, no, but then he said, next time say you're going to a strip club. That's more believable than cheesecake. Than cheesecake. <laughs> right? you know, people do go to Buffalo for the cheesecake. The Cheesecake Factory. Just don't, just don't say just it. Don't they don't want to hear better it. Better off saying some other. He lie. goes three young guys. Yeah. Lying. He goes three young guys going to cheesecake. Doesn't make sense to me. Three young guys going to strip. Should have said strip club. 
Yo, man, yo, they the just didn't want to see us sing and enjoy his cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, that's all it was. Yeah. Yo, they don't want us to have cheesecake. They don't want yeah, us to have cheesecake, man. They decided to never travel through a border with me ever. Yo, and then it became my responsibility. Yeah, so <laughs> now it caused noise. <laughs> we were going to... Uh, it, me and Noise yo. gonna have a good little equal, like, you know, like... Usually I get fucked at some point, and then he gets called in for a random search yeah. at one point. So we always end up end up at the end we trade together. Off. So. Yeah. so with music's a little bit different. So now, um, because of the book, so the book stuff's kind of put me the book stuff and 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 like the what I I get opportunities as as an influencer. I get opportunities because I have a I have a I have a good following on like social media. So like the opportunities come from that. So getting money from those two situations it's kind of put me in a okay i don't have to that's the irony i never figured out how to make money off music it never happened <laughs> it literally never happened let uh, me know when you find yeah it. <laughs> well now so now certain opportunities are coming but i'm looking at them now a lot more long term and i think going back to um what we were talking about earlier how when i kind of dipped i fell back from everybody I, and i really was about that like yo what's going to help my hustle what's going to get me farther I went too far with that. I went way too far. And, and one of the, the best examples of that is my relationship with Boomerang. That was an example of man's just wanted, man's just wanted to chill. Man's never had to had ask for a favor. Man's never, man's always showed up to every gig. Man's did all of that. And just real, like, you know, when he passed, really looking at how non-reciprocating I was. Yeah. And, and the real reason was, I was like, yo, I need to focus only on like there's other people just as cool as him, but plus we'll get work done. Cause with him, we're, we're just gonna be kicking it. We're just gonna be chilling in the garage and doing whatever. And that's when I realized I went too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this is, this is stupid. My priorities are whack. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a changer. And then I hurt my back last year, this time. And then that was also a changer. Cause that was like during all the Apple stuff. I had to like do my ADR, my, my redo my sound recordings for that commercial. I had to walk with the cane. And I was like, look, this, this isn't gonna feel good if I don't feel good. It don't matter. It don't matter what you accomplish if your body hurts. It don't matter what you, you know, if you have a headache that day, you can't enjoy your own birthday. You can't enjoy shit. So those two moments last year were really big. Like, yo, I need to reprioritize my shit and focus on like what feels good. And what's the point? You know, I have so many dope, wonderful people in my life that I'm not spending any time with. Like, instead, I'm just climbing a mountain that has no peak. Like, what's... How, how much money do you need to make? How, how successful do you need to be? Like, for what? Yeah. And knowing people that have 10 times, 20 times, 100 times my net worth and seeing they're in the same boat. They're just doing the same shit. And the only difference was somehow, and I don't know how, I didn't lose many friends. Like, many of my good friends, like, people didn't, when I fell back, people didn't hold it against me. And that, to me, was like, that's wealth. That's real wealth. So I think... So so now for me, for music, that's going to be the give back. So now it's like, look, you can't dangle money in front of me to make the kind of music that I don't want to make. But opportunities are coming because I'm still, I, I can still, you know, I can still create music and, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, the videos are getting better, you know, and, and we're focused on making stuff we're proud of. So the opportunities that are coming to me right now, I'm trying to create them into something that's going to be sustainable past us because us as a community we have no lineage. There's no. Dr. Dre gives us Eminem, 50 Cent, The Game, Kendrick Lamar, Jay Z gives us Kanye, Cole, Freeway, whatever. 
who's giving us who? who who's Jazzy B giving us? Who's Chimkeela giving us? Who's Dil G giving us? And I'm not calling them out. Yeah. The system was never, our system, does, going back and back and even further back, you know what I mean? Go all the way back. Everybody existed in, in isolation for some reason. So now I'm like, here is our opportunity to fix that, create a lineage, you know? So now it's take my last 10 years. How can I take my last 10 years and turn that into three years for somebody else? You know, and again, I'm one person. So sometimes it's just going to be replying to WhatsApp questions. Sometimes it's just going to be a simple conversation. Sometimes it'll be this. It'll be doing whatever you can do. But then... The goal is to have something sustainable. So the music companies I'm talking to who are offering me money to create, um, I'm being very cognizant of that and being like, yo, how can we make this sustainable? How can we make this so we have other artists involved? How can we ensure, how can we set a tone for these guys too? Be like, look, when I work with Humble, I got X, Y, Z. So now when MC whatever calls me and promises me exposure, I can tell him to fuck off. <laughs> Because next man gave me exposure and money, yeah. and I think that I'm trying to I'm trying to solve that and 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 figure that out because I want lineage now I want that and I feel like our generation because now we're becoming an older generation we're the had an existential crisis at 20 and then chased the arts or integrated it in with our our you know to be semi realistic but shit's gonna get dope for 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 our community when we start catching kids at nine. Like how they do it in sports. Yeah. You got to catch them when they're young. Of course. We're not catching. That's how we'll have Leonardo DiCaprio level actors. That's how we do everything. So the other thing that I'm excited about is so uh, I started the paperwork. We're going to do a nonprofit, um, a, a bursary for vocational and creatives. So like money for people who are doing things that don't get scholarships. That's dope. That's dope. So find that kid that isn't doing well in school but we all know he can fix cars all right let's let's take money out of this bursary pay that auto body shop five grand to let him intern for six months and now he learns boom 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 he can run a shop finding kids you know and it's not even a lot so as a part of me being in these illuminati that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. and i have had these talks where it's just like all right cool you guys can all afford to give me a thousand bucks a year yeah. you know and then take all that and I'm learning the system you take all their money you put in boring ass investments you take the interest and that interest is what supports it and then now tapping into people I know too even people in my family that uh, the, the, there's somebody in my family who went to school for fundraising they, they, like a university degree and like events and fundraising and stuff mm-hmm. I mean like alright cool I can run this because you know the other thing with like nonprofits and charities is always the admin fees you know, right? So a lot of yeah. celebrities and NBA players, they throw these and they pay themselves. It's a tax, yeah, it's a tax yeah, shelter. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, again, how do we address that? By setting the example. Like, how can we, cre- can I create something where you, where the finances are transparent and you're like, holy shit, like they're literally not spending money on anything outside of what they're supposed to be spending money on. So that, I got the conversation started with my lawyer and, uh, and like we're, we're, we started the process and that was my goal for my birthday. So that was my birthday gift to myself. I picked that over PlayStation 4. I might still get the PlayStation 4, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go one or the other. But I'm I'm doing that, and I think like that's gonna be the, the the long-term thing. And I think our community has to learn too. Like you can still you can still make money helping other people too. 
Like Jay Z made like Kanye made money off John Legend. Like Jay Z made money off Kanye. Like you can still. I don't know why we don't have that lineage. Mm-hmm. And I think now with the lack of gatekeepers, you know, that actually exist anymore with the internet, now we can do it. And all we got to do is get like, these super talented individuals to like start schooling these kids. So if we know, especially with hip hop, I feel like hip hop's in this 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 beautiful infancy as sampling is becoming less and less practical mm-hmm. like you can do it but it's getting harder to release it without getting like my soundcloud got destroyed mm-hmm. you know what i mean like in one day when they changed that rule um so now people are making tick tick boom bare basic trap beats but that's the reaction of the culture to not having not being able to sample anymore so it's exciting just to see now we're watching a whole new way. Like they took yeah. something away from us. Now we got to do this. But now it's interesting because, like, what about all these kids who got double us shoved down I their throats? We're definitely gonna have to have you back just so we could talk hip hop because, we, <laughs> you know, we didn't even get Going too to long. all the things that are happening in hip hop right now. But uh, do, do you guys have any other questions that we may have forgotten today? Um, I think we pretty much covered. We covered quite a we bit. Covered a we covered lot, quite man. a bit. There's yeah. some. I have like specific questions. I think it would be very. You can just cut them out too after if they suck. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to kind of just do like a wrap up. Like, yeah. Uh, we appreciate you coming to be our very first guest. Yeah, thank you, man. This as a as a author, as a musician, as a friend. Uh, it's awesome to have you here, and uh, it's been dope to be kind of in a fucking courtside seat watching your journey up until this point. Yeah, and uh, it's it's been dope. It's been up and downs, but uh, yo, it's it's been fucking exciting to watch. And you're only scratching the surface for now, and uh, I'm I'm excited for what the future has for humble and for the rest of us all together yeah man thank you guys for uh giving me an opportunity to talk my shit likewise man yo it's it's like magic was saying kind of that sideline we're like the dante jones <laughs> watching you ball and we'll, sometimes we'll play in garbage time when you no, let us man, jump on a track you know what i, I, I seriously I'm be brian scalabrine <laughs> on the bench. no man i think i think the way i look at it now is like things have just begun i think i think there's enough clarity now where things have begun and it was uh out, you know, a lot of LA for, at, at one point was like, okay, I gotta, this is where I have to be. Now I'm like, all right, cool. It's, it's like university. I'm going out there, I'm learning, I'm having fun, but home is home. And I think that's the big thing you learn too, man. It's like, what's real wealth? Real wealth is your people's people around. That's the only reason we're here. You're, you're only existing on this universe because there's people around you you enjoy being around. Those are the people you think about when, if you know you're about to die. Mm-hmm. You think about people. Yeah. You think about the last people you spoke to. Like, that's all that really, really matters. And um, that's why I'm trying to spend more time at home. But at the same time, I'm trying to learn as much as I can from L.A. And then come here and help, you know, instead of worrying about being a big fish, small pond, all that shit, just come out here and we dig a new pond. I think. And shout outs to Drake for that. Shout outs to a man who became the biggest artist in the world, has the power to keep his thumb down in the city. And he's allowing other artists to come up and, and put their flag in the ground. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people, he could have squashed a lot of people mm-hmm. and he's letting people breathe and he's creating an environment where he's like, yo, Toronto, if you if you want to make something happen, make something happen. Don't I might not it. help Don't you, it, yeah. but I won't get in your way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, if you're doing it for the city, go ahead and do it for the city. And the city's killing it right now. Mm-hmm. 
we're, we're the we're the Golden State Warriors of music right now. <laughs> it's just not fair. This uh, door is always open for you. We'd love to have you on any other episode, and I, I don't doubt that you will be here. Can I, can I rename the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> What's Maybe. your alternate title? Mitranadi Podcast. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I knew alternate name I had was the Cumblecast. The, the, the what? The Cumblecast. The Cumblecast. We just decked out on Cumbles. Oh, yeah. This, you know what? That didn't even click in my head. When we, when we do the rebranding and release this in Punjab with Punjabi dubbing, yeah. then it will be Mitranadi Podcast for damn <laughs> This is some like, like, Terrorist ransom background. Yo, it nah, can, this is straight out the pretty bed. Whatever <laughs> might go down. This is so. dope though. This is because you guys are rappers. You guys just understand. You guys are sound geeks. You know what? You it, guys understand it's, this. It started as that, but then it kind of just went with our theme. Like, what is more immigrant than fucking a combo? Oh, this one right here. Yeah. And we Yo. figured eventually people are gonna start sending us combos. And we're trying <laughs> to get that. We're trying to get we need that to out. collect oh, the okay. tiger, right? Yo, so yeah. perfect. The this is the perfect way to end the podcast. Yeah. I don't even know what. Our fucking email is. Well, we'll get it set up, don't worry. We'll get it set up once we have our email. Straight up. All right, but this is the motherfucking immigrant hustle. I am your boy. B oh, Magic. before we cut off, sorry. Can we just mad shout outs to Amrit right now? Because I think yeah. the other, I think <laughs> what's important is that people need to understand is he's a common thread in this next wave of, course. Yeah, of a lot of, of shit right now. Amrit's witnessing all of it, Amrit is documenting all of it. He, you're, he's everywhere, and that, that's that, that's important, that is, man. Five years from now, really watch. Thankful for right now, and that's yeah. that, that's another thing is, young kids that are hungry to just fucking create and do whatever and network, and that is something that we grew up doing, and now seeing the next generation doing doing it, it makes me want to do whatever to help them, and I feel mm. like things like this can give advice for the next generation. But like you said, Amrit, we are really thankful for you yeah, man. sticking yes. around so long. <laughs> I know you probably didn't want to stay this long <laughs> and chill with us. But yo, we, every and he knows, man. Like he's everybody I know that's working with him. Everyone's just definitely excited check and out happy Revive for him, man. Films out yeah, bro. Doing everything Much out respect, there. man. He's yeah. working. Check him out. Holler at him. Amrit was like, yo, I'm going to dip half an hour into the recording. I, I, hope, that was, I hope that's okay. We're like, yeah, no worries. No worries. Three well, hours in, he's still trooping it, man. from his mom. Not <laughs> so, auntie, we're sorry. Yeah, we all getting jutia after this, the bro. Immigrant hustle, we're out. Okay. <laughs>